When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. This is SENZ Extra Time on your Wednesday evening. Hope it's treating you well. Uh, We have uh, now had a full range of Super Rugby shows. We're going to be doing them right throughout the season again. Uh, So Monday is... Uh, in the red with Justin Marshall talking Crusaders. Peter Alatini is going to talk Pacific Flair and Moana Pacific with us from 7.30 on a Monday. Tuesdays, we've got Super South with Joey Wheeler and Chiefs Mana with Carmo Ian Jones. Uh, and then, of course, Wednesday nights, Gordon Simpson's in for uh, Norm Hewitt. He's going to be uh, hosting Hurricane Valley with us this season. And Steve Devine's going to be doing Blues Brothers. So we've had a chat to all the experts uh, they've all had their say. They've dissected the squads. They've looked at the seasons to come. Now it's your turn. What do you think? Uh, who's your team? Let us know. Double eight double three, double eight double three, or ring us. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Let us know who your team is and what's your prediction for your team for this season, for 2023. Uh, I mean, looking at it, you know, I, I, I think the Crusaders are still probably the team to beat. Uh, it's probably not new information for anybody. Uh, the Chiefs, I think, are looking very, very good. Uh, I think the Chiefs will be better than they were last year. Uh, the Blues will probably be there or thereabouts. Uh, be interesting to see what the Highlanders do with a few changes there. And and the Canes have lost a bit of experience. Um, how will they back that up? Um, so keen to hear from you. Uh, and Moana Pacifica, uh, second season. How are they going to go? Uh, how much improvement do you think we're going to see from Moana Pacifica after a year in Super Rugby. Uh, let us know 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 or you can text us on double eight double three. and uh, Stephen Larkham 
is of course uh, now back in Australia after a bit of time spent coaching Munster in Ireland. He has taken over um, the uh, the Brumbies, uh, so he's going to be head coach of the Brumbies with Laurie Fisher as his assistant. He was talking uh, this weekend ahead of their big game against the Waratahs with captain Alan Alalatoa. Uh, yeah, had three years over in Ireland. I had a bit of a stint with the Wallabies before that. Um, certainly gained a lot of experience. I think the um, competition over in Ireland uh, was a real challenge. Um, obviously working with different players, a couple of different competitions over there that you play in. Um, you're playing around 30 games a year over there, so you're kind of getting twice the exposure of Super Rugby. Um, and from a family perspective as well, our, our kids sort of grew up, um, you know, had three years over there in, in sort of some formative years over there and, and sort of had to go through it with them. So yeah, just gained a lot of experience that uh, I'm hopefully bringing back to the Brumbies at the moment. Al, just on that, have you noticed the difference in, in the coach this time around? Oh, yeah, I have. Um, <laughs> yes, I <laughs> um, But, yeah, I think, um, you know, when Bernie was last here, I was probably just one of the young kids who just loved to put on the jersey and play for Brum. So I was probably dealing with him, um, you know, a lot less than what I am doing now with the responsibility of, of leadership on my hands. But that's been, um, you know, awesome to be involved in those conversations with Bernie and um, he's been quite refreshing for us. Um, you know, he's coming, he's, 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 he's coming this year and hasn't really changed, um, you know, too much. Or, um, but he has, um, you know, added, added his values to where he thought was important in the program, which has been awesome. Bernie, there's, I think, one player that most Aussie fans really want to see develop and improve is Noah Lolisio. And as a, as a 10, obviously, you know, back in the day for you, back in the day, um, what can you add to him? How can you help his progression? And have you been able to, to do that already in any sense? Uh, well, yeah, just looking at, you know, video footage of training, um, reviewing some games from last year um, and then just working with him on the training paddock. There's been a, yeah, there's been a small opportunity there so far. The, the Wallaby guys came back in on the 16th of January, so we haven't had a lot of time together yet. Um, and Noah was obviously disappointed last year just with sort of being in and out of the team, um, not really getting a consistent run and not finding that combination that he needed to find on the field. So I think the biggest challenge for us, we've got really good coaches. So, so I've come into a program, like Al said, I've come into a program that... That was really humming last year, so I didn't have to change too much. We certainly want some continuity in the program. And uh, Rod Saib is an outstanding coach, um, sort of our senior coach there, sort of runs most of the session content um, and works with the backs. Um, and I think he's got some really good ideas around how Noah can develop as well. So working closely with Rod. Um, and then the challenge will be just to try and give him consistent game time. I think that for any young player is going to be the most important aspect in terms of their development, making sure they get consistent game time. Now, in a sense, um, Noah is part of uh, the next wave coming through, although he's, he's been there for a while. You've lost some experienced Wallabies, though. Tell us about this next generation in a team that throughout history has been really good at developing the next generation of players. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the trials early this year have created, um, you know, plenty of opportunity for our young lads to get out there and um, you know, to put up their hand for selection and, um, you know, we, we've seen some outstanding performances for some of those young lads like Blake, Blake Shop, um, you know, Reese Van Neck who's in the front row, um, Ben O'Donnell and Declan Meredith throughout the back, um, you know, just to name a few who has some great performances in the trials, you know, so I think that's awesome for us and 
Um, our program at the Brahms has, has, has always had, um, you know, quality coaches. Um, you know, we've got Dan Palmer there, probably the world best um, scrum coach there with um, Laurie Fisher, who's, who's obviously well experienced. And then you have, um, you know, Stephen Larkham and uh, Rob Side there for our back. So that's, so that's awesome. And I think, you know, the more we can give um, our head coach headaches around selection, um, you know, the better it is for our program. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see Stephen Larkham uh, in charge of the Brumbies. Uh, because they ha- have been a very methodical European-style rugby team, uh, you know, uh, really built on the set piece and, and you know, rolling moors a big strength for them. He has been at Munster and Ireland who do do a lot similar, but of course, as a player, um, he was very much a flair player. So, uh, is there going to be any of that coming? And I, I tell you what, I think Noah Eliasolo um, is going to be um, really benefiting from having Stephen Larkham as his coach right throughout the year. So Lolosio, we'll, we'll see how he goes. Um, and the Aussie jersey, because I think having Stephen Larkham as his coach all this season is only going to make him a better player as well. They take on uh, the Brumbies in game... Uh, sorry, they take on the Waratahs in game one in Sydney. The Brumbies are favourites. They're paying $1.67. The Tars are two twenty-five. Uh, the draw at 21 bucks. Let us know who your team is, how you think they're going to fare this season in 2023. Super Rugby season is not too far away. Friday night at 7 o'clock in Christchurch, the Crusaders take on the Chiefs. So let us know, your team, who is it? How are they going to get on this season? 0800 150 811 or 8833. It's 13 past 8 here on SENZ. Extra time, Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock. Uh, Maya Lewis, former White Fern, is with us. G'day, Maya, how you doing? Kia very good, thank you. That's the story, mate, that's the story. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the Bangladeshis couldn't do us a favour this morning in South Africa, uh, and uh, boy, the South Africans looked all right, didn't they? 117 without loss, they chased it down a couple of overs uh, to spare as well. Means uh, the White Ferns go home, and uh, you've got to put a lot of that down to uh, the first two games of the competition. How, how are you feeling about where this team is at at the moment? Yeah, that's a bit of a loaded question, but uh, yeah, no, look, obviously a bit of a bit of a tough tough ask uh, watching the World Cup, especially those first two games. Um, it was a big stretch this morning to try and see if Bangladesh would beat South Africa, but they were convincing, um, especially when you're none down. But look, um, you know, I think it's pretty similar to the One Day World Cup, to be honest. Really, was sort of lost it in the first couple of games, and then you can't sort of get it back. So it's a tough one. Yeah, you end up relying on other results, right? Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, sort of watching this tournament, uh, not even the tournament, but the lead into the tournament, I think we had, what, four games against the Poms, and we did all right uh, in the first couple of those at least, and we beat the Windies as well. Felt like it was probably mm-hmm. the best prep uh, the team had had in a long time for a tournament like this in terms of getting games under our belts in, in you know, in the um, in the conditions. Um, uh, what did you make of, of the lead-in of the tournament for them? Oh, I think the lead-in in South Africa was fine, um, you know, playing playing those some of those tougher, tougher teams like England. Um, I suppose you could say they're probably a little bit light leading up to going away, uh, for example, just playing Bangladesh and West Indies didn't really probably give a great indication of where we're at and probably um, gave us a, a little bit of, um, I suppose, hope that we were a little bit better than what we were. But I also think in saying that in our domestic uh, competition, um, was not everyone was sort of playing and obviously development teams were going over to India and stuff like that. So not all our top players were always playing in our top 
um, domestic competition, especially the Super Smash. So I think, you know, that I mean, that's probably uh, a lack of preparation in that around as well there. So I just don't think they've probably had enough games leading up. But um, and the bottom, bottom line is the experienced players didn't front up when they needed to. Yeah, and that's probably the you know uh, the, the disappointing thing um, uh, was was the batting particularly right um, and, uh, and and particularly against uh, you know Australia. I mean, while we 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 lost a lot heavier than we'd like to lose, you kind of go well, but we probably weren't going to win that game anyway. They're the team to beat uh, in the groups, and if you're going to beat them, you want to beat them when it matters later on. Uh, but losing like they did to South Africa was really really disappointing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, your top order need to fire, and when your two opening batters, probably in both of those games, um, got got north, I think it's a really tough ask to come back from. But um, I do think um, the dropping of Amy Satterthwaite was um, was wrong, and um, and it's highlighted how short we are in the batting, um, lacking experience. She would have been ideal, especially being a left-hander as well, and breaking up the line of the bowlers um, against. And I, and I also believe, you know. There can be enough room for more than one off spinner in the team, and that's where someone like Lee Casperett comes into play. So, I would probably, you know, question a couple of selections or lack of selections there, um, taking away some inexperience. It's a tough gig for someone like Georgia Plimmer, who hasn't. I mean, she's full of talent. I definitely agree with that, and she's starting to come into her own. But she actually hasn't scored a domestic fifty yet. So, you know, just to ask someone to play and perform on the international stage when they haven't done it domestically is a big ask for, for a young player. And I think we need to get them scoring, um, especially with our batting, a lot more consistency, consistency with domestic runs. You'll see in Australia, they have to score actually thousands of domestic runs to actually even make the Australian team. Well, you know, that's probably where we're lacking with our depth. Yeah, and I think you you made a really good point there about uh, Amy Satterthwaite as well because, you know, deciding not to give her a contract uh, has been made to look foolish, I think, um, given the season that she's had and then the batting woes we're having in South Africa at the same time as she's racking up all sorts of scores over here. Yeah, I mean, you could say the same about Leah, but Leah chose to stay on and play. Um, but again, she's obviously not a contracted player, but she's, she's, you know, come, she's always in the playing 11, so she is obviously one of our top Still. Um, you know, I suppose we could have swallowed a bit of pride and actually asked Amy to come out of retirement. She's scoring, um, she's scored the most runs probably in the domestic competition out of most batters. So she's still got the goods and she's still in form. Yeah, mate, she's looking great. You know, it's a, it's a pity that she's uh, she's retiring because I think she's a massive loss and it's hard to see where those runs are going to get replaced from. Now, you know, the last World Cup, Bob, Bob Carter was in charge and he copped a bit of a uh, bit of criticism. Uh, ben Sawyer was then uh, brought in to be the, the coach um, and there was a, a lot of um, excitement around his appointment. What uh, have you noticed, uh, if anything, uh, the, the difference between approaches uh, to the game um, f- under the two different coaches? Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could speak that in days for Ben, although he's been to a Commonwealth and a World Cup now. Um, but look, I think he's just quite uh, slightly strong to Bob. He's not so autocratic. I think, um, you know, Sophie probably has a lot to say in, in terms of helping run the team there. But, um, look, I suppose my biggest disappointment is still seeing a, a full male coaching um, crew in the White Ferns, um, where they've got someone like Joe Broadbent sitting, been the only female sort of his domestic coach sitting here and not using him. So, like, the and, you know, Sarah McGlashan was over there, I suppose, with uh, 
um, under 19s over um, and maybe she could have stayed on and helped out as well so I, I suppose I struggle with seeing you know seeing seeing a similar setup that Bob had with with a, a, a lot of males involved um, and then I suppose bringing in Mornay Morkel you know who's very well got great knowledge of the local conditions and, and a fantastic player but does he know much about actually about women's cricket and if that was the case where he was helping out with the local conditions then you know why is this like the Susie Bates and stuff playing across the line earlier on when we know the pitches are low and slow for example so I'm probably questioning um, you know the captain's set up and structure and, and possibly having a few more females around that actually understand and have been around these players as well yeah, I mean, it's something that we've seen other sports, you know, really, uh, really embrace. I know the football have done it, you know, with the Phoenix and things and, and, and the uh, the football ferns as well. Uh, even, you know, New Zealand rugby um, have at recent times sort of changed that approach as well and they have more female um, involvement in coachings in the Super Rugby Aopeki. Um What is the depth of female coaching like, Maya? I mean, is there someone there that you think could do the job at that level or, or at least be part of the team? Well, I've just pointed out one, I suppose, um, Joe Dorsey, um, and she's tried and true. I personally think if she had a man's name next to her credentials on the beat, then she would be a show-in. Um, but I think, um, you know, there's a bit of a generation who have been lost to coaching. I think um, it's was scarred a little bit through when Hayley Tiffin and Katrina Keenan uh, were the white friends coaches and I feel didn't get completely supported by New Zealand cricket. Um, and then New Zealand cricket has gone away from ex-female players being coaches, because, maybe potentially because of that experience. Whereas um, I think that's wrong. I, I know there's probably, you know, some, there are some young, uh, younger coaches, female coaches coming through, and it's something that New Zealand cricket has identified now. But you're not going to get those coaches coming through sort of five, ten years down the track now. We have missed out on a, on a, 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 a generation of ex-players who want to be involved, um, but but haven't been given the opportunity. Yeah, would you be, I mean, you know, we've mentioned Amy Sathathwaite, who's retired as a player, but she's been involved as an assistant coach at Canterbury this year. Um, you got, obviously, Susie Bates, who's um, on the other side of 35 now, and Sophie Devine, who's coming up to 34 as well. I mean, uh, would you be looking at those players now, if you New Zealand cricket, having conversations with them about, you know, maybe not fast-tracking them, but, but creating a pathway for them to become coaches in the future that can potentially take the national team? Yeah, I mean, I think, I'd like you um, mentioned, Amy's already been down that path, I think, within the uh, WBBL with Sydney Sixers as assistant coach and stuff, so she's had a taste of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose there does need to be a time, a gap between when they're playing and when they are coaching at that top level as well, because you end up playing, coaching players who you played with, so there's a little bit of a conflict there. So, um, look, I can see those players, you know, if they want to, being able to get involved and having opportunities what you will see is a lot of ex-players from Australia um, being involved in either commentary or coaching in, in that as well. So, I mean, I think Australia's got a good model um, and maybe we need to look at that. But um, with the new Women's High Performance Manager and Liz Green, who's just been brought on board by New Zealand Cricket, um, ex-player of, and um, you know, worked with Cricket Wellington. So has been in the system as a player and then been out of it for a little bit as well. I think she's really the key to try and make some um, really transformal uh, formational changes. Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, the uh, from a, um, 
a mixed point of view. I think the mix is actually quite good at the moment in the in the white ferns in terms of your age profiles. You know, um, you got some younger players like Melly Kerr and and Fran Jonas uh, and Georgia Plummer, who you mentioned coming through, and then you've got you know more experienced players like Leah Tahu and and Sophie Devine and Susie Bates, and then there's a few sort of uh, that bridge that in the middle as well. Uh, the one thing that you know I think you mentioned that we did seem to be lacking, uh, particularly this World Cup, was runs out of that top order. I mean, it's, it's always been the batting, batting, I suppose, that sort of led us down at, at international and been a bit of a concern. Um, I would have liked to have seen the likes of uh, Brooke Halliday and Lauren Downs been a, given a bit of a crack, I suppose, even if it, at the expense of a bowler to be able to uh, lengthen that batting order. Um, and they are the future, as you know, if we take out um, Susie Bates and um, Sophie Devine, um, you know, then you know we've got to start looking at those other batters because um, they're not going to last forever. You know, they may not be around for the next World Cup. Who knows? Um, but we've got to start blooding, blooding those other players in. And, um, and I just feel like some, some of them have been sort of pigeonholed. I know Brooke, you know, she's actually, actually a useful all-rounder and she can bowl too as well. So why not play someone like her who can provide um, a bowling option as well and help lengthen that batting order and also provide that left-handed option that they've taken away by taking out Amy Satterthwaite. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Really good point, Maya. Hey, listen, thanks for coming on and having a chat, mate. I know it's a it's a difficult conversation to have when the team's not travelling like you'd like them to, but uh, good to have those honest conversations. Um, and uh, hopefully we see an, an improvement in the near future eh, and we can uh, start getting some more Ws on the board. Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely obviously be keen to see the White Fins perform and, and be in those semi-finals and and really compete like they have in the past, but there needs to be a lot of soul searching done by, especially by New Zealand cricket on, on how the system looks in New Zealand. Um, I think there's a massive gap between the international and the domestic scene, so um, the standard of the domestic scene needs to be lifted up somehow. So I think a little bit of thinking outside the square and not trying to fit a male format or model into the female game, um, looking solely at the female game and what's best for that. Yeah, what works there? Eh? I mean, that's the that's the thing is that uh, I, I think it's taken a while to get across, but uh, people have have finally taken on board that uh, coaching women and coaching men are two uh, slightly different prospects. Yeah, and look, I've got nothing at all against males um, coaching females. I think they just have to make sure that they've been through the system, so they've spent some time with the females through the domestic, uh, you know, coming through the pathways and through the domestic as well, so that they understand female cycling and how that works. Yeah, good stuff, Maya. Uh, thanks again for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Go well and have a great evening. All right, thank you, Tom. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, 26 past eight here on SENZ. This is Extra Time. Uh, Maya Lewis there, uh, former White Fern, with us having her say on the state of the White Ferns at the moment after uh, they were eliminated from the T20 World Cup this morning. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you, 29 away from 9. And uh, we head to Australia and uh, welcome to the show for the very first time out of ESPN Australia, uh, Sam Bruce, to talk some footy with Super Rugby kicking off this weekend. Uh, good evening, Sam. How are you doing? Yeah, good day, Ricardo. Very well, thanks, mate. That's the story, mate. Thanks for coming on. Uh, how's how's the fizz over, the, over, over your part of the world about Super Rugby kicking off this weekend? Yeah, usually this time of year, um, you know, rugby can take it in the teeth a little bit for a lack of marketing and uh, a lack of build-up for the opening weekend of, of Super Rugby. But I, I genuinely feel that this year has a little bit uh, more of a different uh, buzz about it. Um, you know, we go back to 
to Eddie Jones's appointment, and I know that's a bit of a sore point for a few of your friends over there on the other side of the ditch with the way Dave Rennie exited. But um, there's no doubt about Eddie. He knows how to uh, market the game, and um, you know it's kind of been a consistent uh, run of news line since then, and a, a good couple of trial games for the Waratahs and Reds and Waratahs and Brumbies in action. And um, you know if we look to Friday night specifically, we've got. Uh, the Waratahs and Brumbies um, playing at the new Allianz Stadium for the first time. So uh, they're talking up a bit of a crowd of around, certainly beyond 20,000. Uh, New South Wales Rugby officials are, are very bullish about um, the supporters making their way there on, on Friday night. And, um, yeah, I'd say there's a, there's a genuine positive vibe about the game right now. And, as of course, it goes on to the players this weekend to make sure that continues. Yeah, and I think it's it's good too the way that the draw's been done that you've probably got the two best teams out of Oz at the moment and the Tars and the Brumbies meeting uh, in, in week one. It should be a, a, an absolute uh, rip snorter. Yeah, I think so. And then some different you know storylines across both teams. Um, I think I did the numbers today. There's about 25 Wallabies across both the squads. So that's not a bad start, is it? Uh, the, you then look to today that the Waratahs have, have named... Um, a kid who's been dubbed the next big thing in Australian rugby in, in Max Jorgensen straight out of school last year. Just did his exams in uh, October last year. He, he debuts on the wing, um, the sec- second youngest Waratahs debutant uh, behind only Kirtley Beale. Um, at the Brumbies, you've got Jack Debrasini, um, the Rebels playmaker there from a few years ago. He, he's been away to Japan and has come back for, a, for another crack at Australian rugby. He'll start at number 10 for the Brumbies. So, as well as all those Wallabies on show, um, you know, there's a couple of uh, different storylines as well. Namani Nandolo to come off the bench for the Waratahs. So, you know, no matter where you look um, across the paddock, um, I think you can find a reason to uh, to certainly give this game a watch on Friday night. Yeah, and there's, there's some great talent on show. There's also a lot of talent on the bench. I noticed uh, that Noah Lolesio is on the bench and so is Nick White for um, uh, for the Brumbies. Interesting move uh, from Stephen Larkham uh, in his first game in charge. Yeah, it is. I mean, great to see Bernie back in, in Australian rugby uh, coaching again. Um, you know, he's a, a favourite son of the Brumbies down there in Canberra. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big move, isn't it? Um, you know, he obviously thinks that um, those uh, those guys coming on, uh, probably you would think from, you know, being the first game of the season anywhere from, from early in the second half, maybe five or ten minutes after half time, are going to have a job to do. Um, and and what, uh, what great strength to be able to bring on Two guys, uh, Nick White, obviously uh, immensely talented and a guy who knows how to, how to close games out. Um, Noah Wallace Leo had a bit of an up-and-down run uh, in terms of Wallabies, um, you know, uh, time so far, but um, certainly has performed for the Brumbies. So, yeah, look, I'm really excited by this one. I think, um, you know, it's a great way, as you said, to, to start the year, the two, what we feel will be the two best Aussie teams um, going head-to-head. I'm, I'm told the, the wet weather we've had here today will hopefully be finding up and, yeah, if we can get 25,000 people there at, um, at Moore Park and, and the heart of Sydney, then uh, it should be a good one. Yeah, it should be huge, mate. A, a lot of great talent on show in the 10 jersey or options for, for the 10 for Eddie Jones. No doubt he'll be there because, you know, we've mentioned Noah's on the bench. Um, Deborah Sini's a bit of a journeyman. He's played a bit here. Um, he'll be there starting. But you've got Tane Edmet at 10 and Ben Donaldson, who I think uh, beginning of last year, the Waratahs thought was going to be their 10. But Edmet was so good when Donaldson was out injured. Uh, they had to keep him there. So uh, there's there's some options for Eddie Jones, particularly in the wake of Giddo's retirement. Yeah, there really is. Um, I think if you know you look at the White Star specifically, another guy they've got there is Will Harrison, who probably out of these three guys got first crack 
at the number 10 jersey back under Rob Penny in 2020. Um, he certainly impressed in that year. He's a bit of a smaller guy and has run into a bit of injury trouble since then. Uh, you mentioned uh, Donaldson getting the nod to start last year, um, but injury sort of uh, meant that Donaldson um, had to, had to, was away for a little while and Edmed came in. And then when Edmed did such a fine job that um, Donaldson moved to fullback, and, and that's the um, that's the setup that we see this week with 10 and 15. Um, the Waratahs, of course, not having Kirtley Beale, who's who's been stood down um, pending that incident earlier in the year. So they've had to do a bit of a, a reshuffle there. But, you know, I think we'll probably see both guys, Ed Med and, and Donaldson, at 10 um, at some stage during the year, and, and even this weekend, you know, playing that uh, that dual playmaker approach and uh, being able to play both sides of, uh, of the ruck or more when, uh, when plays in midfield. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a tantalising prospect, and, and as you say, Eddie's going to be there in the crowd and, and gets an early look at um, you know four potential tens that he may well want in uh, in the gold jersey later in the year. Yeah, and then there's of course uh, looking at um, Dave uh, Parecki as well, uh, who I think had an outstanding year last season. He gets to start at hooker uh, for the Tars against the against the Brumbies. A real opportunity for him to really stamp that his authority as the number one hooker in the country. Yeah, he was certainly Dave Rennie's go-to man last year. Uh, we know Talao Falling has left the Brumbies and gone to the force, so a bit of a, a change of scenery and, and to see how he fronts up over there. Um, the Warriors have also got a really good backup in, in Mahe Kailano, um, a guy who Darren Coleman took with him to the LA Giltinis, rather, in America a couple of years ago. Um, also played under him at Gordon here in Sydney. Um, had a really, really good game against the Crusaders in that shock win at, at Leichhardt Oval for the Waratahs. Last year, so I keep an eye off for him off the bench. But um, yeah, it certainly feels like Parecki is the main man. Um, although you know, as we as we know at this point, it's a virtual clean slate for all every Australian player in Super Rugby, isn't it? Because um, you know, Eddie, uh, he's a new man. Um, as of just a few minutes ago, he's got an entirely new coaching staff because both Dan McKellar and and Petra Suplicy, the scrum coach, uh, have officially um, resigned. Um, so look, it's. That's the challenge for the Australian group, isn't it? You know, you've got this ability to to impress from the opening opening round. Everyone's, you know, like their teams are starting on zero points for want of a better expression. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see how it all goes. Yeah, another guy that uh, I, I thought stood up a lot last year, and I don't know where he is in terms of uh, being able to be selected uh, by the Tars because he is from over this way. Came through the Crusaders setup, but Charlie Gamble I thought was everywhere, all over everything. Every time I saw the Waratahs play, uh, do you think he's a sneaky option for for Eddie Jones at the World Cup? Yeah, I really do, uh, Ricardo. And I know um, there's probably going to be a few people around Christchurch who are a little bit dirty that. He has entrenched himself around uh, over here in, in Sydney. I mean, just a great story, isn't it? Um, kind of lost his way a little bit there um, in Canterbury and, and came across just for a change of scenery. He was playing sub-districts rugby here, so not even, you know, shoot shield, another another step below that, and has gone from there into the shoot shield with East and on into the Waratahs. And he was actually part of that um, that 40-man group that, that Dave Reen took to the Gold Coast virtually two or three days before he was sacked. So... Um, look, he's uh, he's probably you know down the pecking order a little bit, and I, I think it's interesting that he's starting at number eight this week as well, it, it, just to be able to show Eddie that he has potentially got that versatility to play eight or six, maybe not you know in the in the kind of setup we saw David Pocock and and Michael Hooper uh, a few years ago under Michael Checker for the Wallabies, but certainly um, to be maybe a bit, to be able to cover that bench spot behind Michael Hooper, who you would think you know will be the Wallabies' number seven. Moving forward, um, yeah, just that, that ability to, to cover those multi-positions across 
the back row. But no, I agree. I think he had a he had a huge season last year, and um, yeah, you'd expect him to continue that on from this weekend. Yeah, no, those are the two top teams we expect, right? But uh, I think the Reds probably won't be too far behind them, and I think. Um, you know, look, it's all pointing towards them having a, a great opportunity to start the season with a win as well against uh, the Canes in Townsville. Uh, Canes got a few injury issues. Uh, doesn't look like Brett Cameron and Ruben Love and maybe even Balen Sullivan aren't going to be there. Plus, TJ Perinara is still recovering from that Achilles snap. So, uh, what chance do you give the Reds uh, to get a W on the win first up in Townsville? Yeah, I think they're a big chance. Um, they've got some injury concerns of their own. Uh, Michael Atkinson from Channel 9 over here reporting that James O'Connor won't be fit. So uh, young Tom Liner, of course, Michael Liner's son. Uh, he's got one um, on the fringes of England. And, and Tom's been out here with the Reds for the last couple of years and um, didn't actually see any game time last year, but played the trial against the Waratahs a fortnight ago. And, uh, yeah, appears to have got the nod this weekend. So as we were talking about, um, you know, Max Jorgensen at the Powers, this is a, another really young, exciting uh, Aussie talent that we're, um, you know, reportedly going to see this weekend. Uh, the Reds have, you know, they, they had their injury issues last year, um, particularly, you know, around some of their their key players. Uh, Tenyola Tupu, O'Connor was injured again. Um, so they, they, you know, they've, they've got a couple at lock, I think, at the moment. There's a couple of guys who, who are in a little bit of doubt. But um, otherwise, you know, by all reports, Sylvia Arce, Vinavale was fit and firing. Um, they've got a back line. You know, Tate McDermott's going to be busy around nine. This kind of feels like the, the perfect game for Tate for me. It's going to be hot and it's going to be sweaty up there in Townsville. And, you know, first game of the year, or, uh, apart from the trials, of course, that, um, you know, there's going to be some blokes blowing you would expect in that in that second 40. So I fully expect Tate to, to snipe really well around the fringes and um, potentially open up this game for the Reds uh, late, later in the piece. I know we're talking super rugby, but I, I was really surprised that uh, towards the end of last year, uh, or even in the rugby championship, that Dave Rennie uh, seemed to go off Tate McDermott as a as a halfback and prefer you know Nick White, Jake Gordon, because for me I think he's he's the best halfback in Australian rugby, and uh, I, I fully expect Eddie Jones uh, to probably make him his number one after having a bit of a look as well. What, what's your take on on the halfback situation? Yeah, it's really tight, Ricardo. I mean, talking with Dave last year on on multiple occasions, he said you know week to week basically it was just very little between these three guys. I mean, they kind of play the game uh, in slightly different fashions. Nick White's probably more of your, your complete halfback. Uh, he's got the best kicking game out of the three of them. Um, he's he's tight, he's busy, he's, you know, can really drag in that first and second um, A and B defender around rucks and, 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 and whatnot. Um, Jake Gordon is a, you know, he's got that real turn of speed. He's a great support player. Um, and Tate, as we were saying before, can kind of bounce off those defenders. He seems to be a really tough little guy for the bigger blokes in particular to, to get a shoulder on, doesn't he? Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think that's along with um, along with fullback probably at the Wallabies this year that they are going to be two, you know, the, the key positions that, that Eddie really is, you know, going to need to focus on because while he's got great depth there, clearly, um, we're really looking for that one guy to, to, to separate himself from the pack and say, yep, give me the jersey um, because it was so close last year. Now, uh, I don't know if this is an unkind thing to say. I, I just uh, like to call it how I say it, but I, I, I was going through the games uh, with somebody the other week and said, you know, the, the, the Force Rebels game looks like it's an early contender for the Wooden Spoon match. Um, what's your take on where those two clubs are? Yeah, I, I was I was bullish that the Force um, might improve. Uh, they've had some, some injury news today, uh, unfortunately, with Isaac Rodder 
um, out for a reoccurrence of that foot injury that, that virtually kept him out of, I think, the last couple of weeks of Super Rugby, and then we didn't see him at all in the Wallabies jersey last year. So that was really disappointing for him, given he'd come back, um, excuse me, via Japan and France to, to set up a, have another crack in Perth with the force. Look, they get um, Simon Cron, another one of your, your guys, the coach who came over here looking for a, a chance and got it with Norse and then moves through to um, the Waratahs to be Daryl. Daryl Gibson's assistant uh, looked for a long while that he was going to be Gibson's heir apparent, and then um, Gibson extended, and we then the Waratahs went through a bit of a, a washing machine of, of poor decisions, and um, Cron went to Japan, and uh, their loss is the forces gain. Uh, look, they've they've brought a couple of other guys in uh, as well. They've got Chase Tia from the Chiefs, um, which hopefully should you know act, add a little bit of speed and X factor. Out the back, my concern with the force is, again, that they're just lacking that little bit of creativity um, in the halves. Uh, they've got Hamish Stewart across from the Reds, who was a really solid defender for Queensland under Brad Thorne there at number 12 the last couple of years. Um, it was a former uh, Aussie schools or under 20s, uh, number 10. So he's always fancied himself as a playmaker, but I've just got um, doubts that he actually is that. Um, look, I think, you know, they're, they're going to be exactly what we've come to expect from the force in, in recent years. It's going to be very hard to beat at home. Uh, a lot of their games are probably going to be tough to watch, um, but they're going to be nitty and gritty and, and hang in the contest. And for them, the trick will be, um, you know, just winning a few more of their games by that narrow margin. I think last year they, they lost seven, uh, lost, yeah, seven games uh, by seven points or less. So if you pick up a couple more of those, you know, that you suddenly you're going to be in a scramble for that that eighth spot. And, and I fully expect, you know, that I think that um, the Force, uh, the Rebels, Mana Pacifica, Fiji and Driller, and, and also the Islanders in there as well, because I'm not sure that they're going to be too much better than last year, uh, are probably all going to be scrambling for that, that eighth spot and, and winning your home games is, is going to be critical. So the Force need to start well this weekend. Yeah, and what what about the Rebels then? Because um, I, know, I know they've made a big uh, big signing announcement today, but uh, that's not till next season. So where are they at? Are they the weakest of the teams over your side of the uh, Tasman? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Uh, and they have got, they have been hit hard by, by injury, not so much from the pre-season, but just because of that wretched Wallabies run last year. Um, if you looked, there's no no uh, Matt Phillips gone for the season. Andrew Kellaway's a few weeks away. Rob Leota, I think, is going to miss a large chunk of the season. So you take out, you know, three three just about rusted on Wallabies there. Um, that's that's a big loss for a, for a team that um, has struggled for, for depth in in recent times. Um, no Matt Tamua as well this year, so they lose a bit of experience in the back line. Uh, Reese Hodge will, will kind of be the, the one stable figure there. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing young Carter Gordon, another one of our, our young tens over here. Um, kind of, I think, wasn't helped by the fact that, that Tamua was um, alongside him last year and, and uh, Kevin Foote couldn't really make up his mind whether he wanted the two together or wanted to, Tamua at, at number 10. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it's, I think they will, I agree, I think they will struggle, um, and I think they probably will be the, the worst perform of the of the Aussie teams. But um, as I say, if they can you know, hang in there through these opening few weeks and if they start to get a few troops back later in the year, then um, when they only missed that, um, that semi-final, sorry, that quarter-final spot to the Highlanders, both they and the Force by four and against last year, I think they were 32 and 32. The, the Rebels, sorry, the Force and the Highlanders, and the Rebels are only a a point further back. So, um, yeah, if they can, you know, just um, grit out the, the opening weeks of the competition, then there, there might be good, hopefully better things to come for them later in the year. Mm. Now, just before I let you go, Sam, uh, I did notice the, the uh, Fiji and Drua um, beat the Force 48-38 last Thursday. 
Uh, and it sounded like they did, they were pretty comfortable in the first half and then made a raft of changes. Um, they were up by a lot, uh, and then Force came back into it. So the Drua, they improved this year, do you think, and are they a threat for the quarters? Oh, I think absolutely they've got to be, just purely for the fact because they've got, you know, six games in Fiji. I think we saw in those two, you know, were probably my two favourite games of the first season last year, right, when they, they finally got back to Fiji after the the difficulties of COVID and, and hosted the um, the Highlanders first in, in Suva and then the Chiefs in Lautoka. And um, you just saw how, how tough they were to beat at home. I think the Rebels went over there in the preseason just a few weeks ago and it was nil all or something at, at half time and, and the, the drill went on to win 24 zip just because of the, the conditions, the humidity, uh, mixture with a you know the, the odd downpour. Um, I can't wait to see the crowds back over there. I think they're a fantastic addition along with Moana Pacifica, um, so what a what a game to get the you know that um, for those teams to get started this year playing each other as well. So yeah, as I said before, I think they'll be better. They've been set up um, the whole preseason in Fiji as well. You remember last year they were here on the, the north coast at Manic Set of, of New South Wales, um, so that must have you know been certainly uh, caused a few interruptions. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think if I was putting a putting an eight together right now, I'd, I'd, I'd have them in there. Yeah, mate. All right. Good stuff. Sam, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. Uh, always good to get the, the latest from uh, your side of the ditch ahead of uh, the uh, the Super Rugby season kicking off, mate. Enjoy it, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon, eh? Yep, no worries, Ricardo. My pleasure. Cheers. Uh, Sam Bruce there with us from ESPN Australia. And, uh, yeah, certainly a man who uh, loves his footy and uh, sounds like it's uh, going to be an exciting comp from their side of the ditch as well. It is 10 away from 9 here on SENZ. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. We're going to talk some NRL in the next hour. And uh, we've forgot the phone line's open as well. 0800 150 811 for your calls or double eight double three. Uh, we're going to hopefully talk some football after 10 o'clock as well. After Liverpool got trounced at home at Anfield by Real Madrid. They started well. They uh, took a two-goal lead in the first 15 minutes. Ended up losing 5-2. Real Madrid came back. 5-2, and uh, that was some game. And the other game from the Champions League this morning, Eintracht Frankfurt was all tied up at nil all, and then Eintracht Frankfurt had a man sent off about a quarter of an hour into the second half, and it finished 2-0 to Napoli. So you would say that Napoli, probably going back to Italy for the second leg, have got that one sewn up as well. Hopefully we can talk some football uh, out of the UK after 10 o'clock. Uh, this evening, but like I said, the phone lines are open. We've been talking Super Rugby. Uh, your team, who is your team, and where do you think they're going to finish this year? What do you, how do you rate your team, and where do you think they'll finish? Uh, let us know. 0800 150811. 0800 150811, or text us on double three. Interesting news out of Australia as well. We'll get to that shortly here on SENZ. It's just got 9 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. Going to talk NRL a little bit later on the hour. We're going to uh, uh, get a Manly fan on the uh, phone and talk Manly, the Seagulls this season. What are they expecting? And uh, how many games do they reckon Tom Trebojevic might play? That'll be interesting. Uh, now, I did mention before that there is news out of Australia. Now, Sam Bruce did cover this off, but it is official. Uh, Dan McKellar is officially done with the Wallabies. Uh, Leicester Tigers, he's going there to be the coach. He had been the assistant coach at the Wallabies under Dave Rennie, uh, but he's leaving. And now Wallaby scrum coach Petrus Duplessis has also exited. Now, it's been called a clean-out under Eddie Jones, but... 
I mean, with one guy leaving to go to the Leicester Tigers, is that a clean out from Eddie Jones or is it people just leaving? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, Eddie Jones will be looking for staff. Who's he going to get uh, to be part of the Wallaby setup? I tell you what, Razor spent a bit of time with England, didn't he? When England were touring Australia last year, Razor was over there ahead of the Sydney Test and spent some time in camp. Uh, I know he's also been up to England before when Eddie Jones was there and spent some time with England. Razor for the assistant coach of the Wallabies? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe he's ready for a head coaching job. I don't know. I thought I'd throw it out there because I know our next caller on 0800 150 will appreciate that sentiment. And that is Graham from Christchurch who is red and black through and through. G'day, Graham. How are you? Oh, good day, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Um, you, you, you just started. You just started another rumor. Another there'll be another article <laughs> on stuff tomorrow. Razor, razor link to uh, assistance coaching job with England. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I've almost done that stuff to death. Actually, to be honest, I mean, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the Super Rugby season. Um, believe it or not. Oh, mate. Yeah. Um, how how are you feeling about the opening game against the Chiefs? That Chiefs. Oh, yeah. You know, they, well, up. I'm never. I don't take. I don't, I don't take anyone lightly, and I, I say that sincerely. I'm not one of those people that go, oh, you know, people go, oh, that'll be an easy win, or that'll be, um, you know, that, that you know, look till they look ahead for three weeks away. But no, I, I'm always, you know, in any of these New Zealand games, you know, not disregarding the Australian sides, but all those derbies, you know, even in your best year when the Crusaders, you know, have won titles under Razor, we've lost, you know, Game in 2018, we lost to the Highlanders and Hurricanes two weeks in a row, and you know people said, "Oh, you know, um, the Crusaders are wobbling." And you know, same happened last year. You know, we lost a couple of games in a short amount of time, and yeah. So no, I don't. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I just know that there's two tough, two very good teams up against each other in 40. You know, under 48 hours here. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that, mate. Are you, are you happy with the squad that uh, Razor's put together there? Oh, or? yeah, no, I'm definitely happy. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and the team that, you know, probably looking ahead to this game, you know, I think, um, you know, obviously Sam Whitelock, you know, these things happen. You know, they get a knock and, you, you know, you don't, you know, you don't play that in a week. You know, Mitch Dunchy's a player I've got a lot of time for, you know, he missed most of last year. Um, but he's a very tough customer and a very good, very good player, so you know, and then you got Harvey, David Avelli going back to fullback with you know Will Jordan out. So um, you know, so D- David Avelli's you know always been a utility. So and he started off under Razor as a fullback mm. in the first three or four seasons. You know, so yeah, you know, you don't lose a lot, but um, yeah, I'm very happy with that side that's been picked for this week, particularly. Yeah, it's not bad, is it, when you go, oh, we have to move our, the all-black number 12 to 15 to cover our fullback. Oh, no, we're going to have to play an all-all-black midfield and Jack Goodhue and Braden Enor to cover it. I mean, it's not bad, is it? I mean, Mitch Drummond, Richie Mwanga, Jack Goodhue, Braden Enor, and then Lester Whanganuku and Sevi Reese on the wings and David Harvey at fullback. And you can still bring Fergus Burke and, and Willie Hines Willie off Hine. the bench as well. And then the youngster, Macca Springer, who they got big raps on too. Yeah, yeah, no, well, he did very well with Tasman last year. Yeah, no, he's a very good footballer. Yeah, no, so, yeah, he'll be, you know... <laughs> You know, but likewise the Chiefs, you know, they've got depth too. You know, they, you know, they, outside of the Blues and the Crusaders, they've probably got, you know, the Hurricanes, I think, will be better this year too. And the Highlanders, are, you know, once again, have got a, you know, they're, 
they're good sides. But yeah, no, it is a, it is a good bench. You know, Fergus Burke. You know, he played well last year right throughout the season. So, and um, yeah, no, that you know, these guys are going to make an impact. And you know, that, that's the thing. Someone can go down a minute into the match, and they're going to play the full. Of, you know, 79 minutes, so, yeah, no, I mean, the Crusaders, you know, I'm backing the Crusaders to do it, because I'll be um, pumped uh, to, to get it underway to the, against the Chiefs, because they're away for a couple of weeks next week, so, you know, they, they'll be wanting to win this one. Yeah, I mean, in terms of where you think the Crusaders are going to finish this season, I mean, uh, it is uh, Razor's last season by the sounds of things, he's not going to be the Crusaders coach next year. Uh, is that enough? Do you think that that, that incentive, that carrot to drive them on? You oh, think the Crusaders will win the whole oh, thing yeah, this year? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think so, yeah. I mean, um, you know, and you got Richie Mwanga, you know, more than likely, I mean, he's going to wait for three years, so, you know, you can almost say, sadly, that it'll be the end of his, you know, stellar career here, and Sam Whitelock's thing, you know, just a absolute, you know, more better than a stalwart, really. You know, he's just been, you know, a leader of the team, even when he's not the captain, you know. And so you put those, and I've seen Crusader teams, they do those, you know, they don't always work out, seems off, you know, players finish and coaches, and, you know, but they, especially under Razor, they've, um, you know, they formed in 2019 a lot of the. You know, Kieran Reid and Matt Todd and all them finished, and Ryan Crotty, and I know that you know that that they put a lot of emphasis on sending those guys off um, in a style. You know, so yeah, they they will, they'll be very focused on that. You know, it won't be just like oh well, this is coming to an end, hasn't it been good? They'll be looking to um, to you know make this season special. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, earmark it. You know, it's totally different from every other year. Yeah. Yeah. No, good stuff, Graham. Thanks for your call, mate. I, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, thanks for listening. I, I'm really looking forward to actually the most uh, I'm looking forward to is, and I say this as a Blues fan, and I'm not a Crusaders fan at all, but looking, no, I forward, know. looking forward to seeing Ethan Blackadder back out there because I think he's absolutely superb. So uh, that'll be uh, something I'll be watching for on Friday night. Good stuff, Graham. Thanks for your call. Go well. Okay, same to you, mate. Cheers, uh, Graham from Christchurch. You can give us a call too. Your team, who are, who are they? Uh, what do you like? What don't you like? And where are they going to finish? Uh, Mark has called through from Sydney. Uh, Mark, I'm assuming, I know you've got ties to New Zealand, um, but I'm assuming you're a Tars man. Um, so how are you feeling about the Brumbies game? Well, I am a Tars fan, that's true, being born in Sydney, and I'm feeling pretty confident that Tars can do it against uh, the Brumbies. And can do it with a big margin for a win. Yeah, okay. You, you, uh, what about uh, the, that Australian comp? I mean, well, I know it's all one comp, but we always look at the, you know, look at it as two, uh, two halves, if you like, or two, two conferences. Um, yep. You know, the Reds, I think, are, are on the improve. I think the Force have probably improved a bit as well. Uh, you think the Tars can yep. take it out and be the top Australian team this season? I do. I do think they can be the top Australian side this season because I think uh, coaching-wise and player-wise, it's a good mix. And they just seem more settled in how they're approaching like team dynamics off the field and on the field. And I think that's going to be a big asset to the Tars uh, playing this year. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, they've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of talent in the back line that we talked about with uh, Sam Bruce from ESPN earlier. 
Um, I, I guess the question mark is, do they have enough up front? Can they dominate, say, a, team, a, a forward pack like the Reds or a forward pack like the Brumbies? That's right. I mean, the Brumbies have been the dominant team over here for the last few years, but I think um, if the Tars can really gel as a team this year, I think they can really uh, give the Brumbies a really rude shock and uh, take the not only the uh, Australian competition, but I think they can take the whole thing. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, that's, that's a big shout. I mean, I, I, I am a big fan of uh, Tane Edmed, from what I saw last season. Uh, he certainly displaced Ben Donaldson from the 10 jersey. Who else do you like in that tar side? Who else should we be keeping an eye on? Oh, well, basically, I think, if you just give me a second, I'll just have a look at some up-to-date information. Mind you, I'm not saying this to be a cynic, but I think any team that doesn't have Razor in it is bound to do well in whatever respective competition they play because I was looking at, um, or I was listening to Izzy and Kempe this morning, and um, yeah, I think his position is pretty much untenable with regard to the informa- uh, the interview he had with the New Zealand Herald uh, journalist and uh, shooting his mouth off about things like that. And... Um, I mean, I'm the type of guy who prefers things to be open and out in the public arena. But I realised through, you know, necessity, things like contracts and um, other, you know, legal stuff, they need to sort of keep details of those confidential. But the way he's just sort of um, gone his own way and given this information, given this interview to the New Zealand Herald Journalist, I think he's pretty much made his position as uh, All Blacks coach untenable. And... Um, they just need to get uh, Scotty Boy in there as soon as possible because for the All Blacks heading into the World Cup with this much uncertainty hanging over their heads because Razor's spending his time, you know, promoting his point of view, um, you know, to get, like, me, me, me impression out there and just shooting his mouth off like he did. It's creating too much uncertainty and tension for the All Blacks heading into the World Cup and they don't need that type of grief right now, I think. Yeah, well, and that's the, that's the thing. I mean, like, I thought, uh, you know, when he came out and said all that stuff, I was like, mate, you know, the irony is that the only reason you got that job is because last time New Zealand Rugby did exactly what you were saying, waited till the last, and then at the end there was only one dented tin of beans left on the shelf, and they, they, they had no choice. They had to take what they got. Um, they, they're yeah. making sure they're not in the same position again. They're making sure they're not going to miss out on Scott Robertson or, or Jamie Joseph or Tony Brown or any of those guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, and I just think that Scott would be a better uh, choice for the New Zealand, for the All Blacks coaching position now. And because he's demonstrated to me, he's he's a coach for the 21st century because he knows how to deal with young players who've both been born in the 21st century and have had a lot of playing experience in the 21st century. Razor, I think he's too old school. And, you know, being old school is no bad thing. I mean, in all-black coach terms, you had legends like uh, Pontry Meade and you had Grizz Wiley. And they knew how to coach teams being thoroughly professional. And yes, they were a bit hard, but it was needed. And players responded to that. You know, like uh, Captain Kirk, David Kirk in uh, 87 yeah. when New Zealand won the ball. And they responded. And that's the way teams responded back then. And I think that the problem with Razor now 
is besides shooting his mouth off and going his own way. Oh, you mean you mean Fozzy? You mean you mean Foster? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, whoever the coach is now who shot his mouth off in this interview with the New Zealand Herald journalist, um, I think what he's put his foot in his mouth about is exactly what came out of his mouth. But also, I think his approach is um, too old school, where it's just tub and gel with a modern rugby sensibility with a lot of the players who are there. Yeah, because yeah. he just doesn't seem to have the empathy and flexibility that um, Scott has with. Uh, the Crusaders as he has. I mean, his coaching record speaks for itself with regard to how many times he's won the national competition with the Crusaders in New Zealand. And um, I think the sooner they get him in as all-black coach, the better. So you reckon there's the a, no, I was going to say, so you reckon there's a chance that New Zealand rugby pull the trigger and get rid of Foster now because of the, uh, the interview that he gave? I'd say get rid of him now and mm-hmm. get Scott in there and um, just clean house. Get rid of uh, the current coach, Fozzie, if that's who he is, um, get rid of his get. Yeah, and going on a deeper level, I think New Zealand rugby really needs to have a big clean out in their boardroom because whoever's in the boardroom, they've been there too long. Their approach is definitely too old school because the All Blacks' lack of success speaks for itself in that regard. And uh, you know this whole um, situation with the All Black coaching mess—it's kind of like it goes back to like the Rayland Castle mess where. Um, the, you know, she had that total mess with Israel Folau. It's in Australian rugby. And it's just like, you know, neither Australian rugby or New Zealand rugby needs messes like that again, especially seeing we're heading into the World Cup because they're just big distractions. Both side, both you know, both rugby competitions on both sides of the Tasman just do not need. No. Now, getting to, getting to the Waratahs, uh, it looks like we've got some good players with regard to Max Jorgensen who's an 18-year-old preferred over the returning Namani Nadolo, who will come off the bench replacing breakout star Dylan Peach after he failed to recover from a quad complaint. Uh, Lachlan Swinton has beaten out Wallaby Lange Gleeson and Will Harris at blindside flanker joining Michael Hooper and Charlie Gamble. So looking at the way the uh, media over here is talking about guys like this, I think the Tars are in with a very good chance to not only beat the Brumbies, but to go a long way in the competition, and I reckon they could take the whole lot. Well, mate, I think it's good because I think uh, when Waratahs rugby strong, Australian rugby strong, and the, and, and and you need the uh, the Aussie team to be strong uh, for the comp- this competition yep. to work, right? So, uh, no, good stuff, mate. Yep. Thanks for your call, mate. I, I appreciate it. Good, good to have some insight okay. from that side of the ditch. It is 17 past nine here on SENZ. This is Extra Time. Our number, 0800 150 811. Our 0800 150 811. Interesting point from Mark there. He says he thinks the New Zealand Rugby Union uh, should sack Ian Foster now and put Scott Robertson or whoever they're going to put in charge in charge uh, because, you know, Fozzie's gone off book, talked to Paul Cully at the Herald. Now he's given interviews um, as well um, on it, criticising the rugby union for the way that they're going about things. Uh, what do you think? That's the call from Australia. Sack Foster and put your incumbent in now uh, and, and give them a free hit this World Cup and a contract beyond that through to 2027. What do you think? 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Can you get your thoughts? It's 9.21 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock. I had a text through from Simon asking uh, if I can ask Graham if he follows Matt Todd in Japan. 
Um, yeah, that's that is where he went. Uh, apparently, Graham, uh, you're a bit of a fan, a bit of a Matt Todd fan, a president of the fan club. So uh, good stuff for for getting that name into the conversation again. Uh, now uh, we have been talking about the Australian side of things, and the Aussies have been talking, including Darren Coleman, the Waratahs coach, ahead of their meeting with the Brumbies this weekend. Um, yeah, it was good. Good to get to uh, connect with our home ground and uh, the sleep out. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had a few senior players whispering in my ear that maybe it wasn't the way to go once it started raining. But uh, no, we stuck it out and uh, it was a good bonding experience. And uh, as I said, we got to know our home ground a bit better. Well, you get to know it on Friday week. Um, how important is this, this win first up against the Brumbies? You've been pretty clear about where you want to take and how you want to take your, your team in 2023? Yeah, there's, um, obviously every, every game's worth the same amount of points. It's pretty cliche, but... When you spend six months building for our game, it, uh, it carries a bit more a bit more weight. So um, yeah, we just want to make sure we put a really good performance in front of our home crowd. It's a good opportunity for rugby and a good opportunity for rugby in Sydney to, to have a bit of a showcase event, get people back in believing and, and following the Waratahs. And if we put on a good performance and, and get the win, I think it's just going to build momentum for our team. Hey Jake, you look around the room, a lot of people here have tried to lose some weight over summer. Um, you guys have tried to put on some weight over summer and it's been pretty successful. You've, you've beefed up as a team. Can you talk us through that that idea and why the need? I did most of the putting on the weight, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, Nick Lumley, who's our strength and conditioning coach, did a great job over the pre-season. I think what you saw probably in the later rounds of Super Rugby Pacific against some of the Kiwi teams, we couldn't contain their big forward pack. Um, I think you saw that probably in the Blues and the Hurricanes game. Um, they sort of got the front foot and we couldn't really nullify the threats up the middle. So that was one of our big focus points was powering up over the preseason. Um, I think on average what we put on seven or eight kilos across the pack. So, um, yeah, looking to make a difference there. And you look at the team on paper and, you know, there are some imports, but it's largely New South Wales born and bred. It's It's got a real sort of state of origin feel about it is that is that what it feels like to to be part of the team yeah i think uh yeah when you look at the squad majority of the squad on new south wales born you know i think uh apart from a few maybe charlie gamble uh he's pretty keen to get in the wallabies after you heard his uh his press conference last week but yeah no it's good uh, a lot of the boys have a strong affiliation with shoot shield um and yeah so you know it's exciting i think uh the more guys we can get from, from new south wales who uh as we say bleed blue the better and DC, a lot of your players, and thinking in terms of this first game, and you know, obviously you talk about how important it is, a lot of your players may not have played at Allianz before, certainly not well, the new Allianz Stadium, but some not even at the old Allianz Stadium. Can you talk about how you want to um, make it a fortress but also make it an event for TARS fans that like, a bit old school perhaps, like it used to be? Yeah, I've probably said this a bit, and um, it was actually walking in there for our season launch last uh, last night, I walked in with Marky and uh, he'd never even been in the joint. Uh, so I think we calculated there's five or six of Jake's vintage that have actually played at the uh, at the footy stadium before it got taken down. So there's not a whole lot of assimilation with it. But I was here like through the late 90s and early 2000s when, uh, when rugby was really strong and I, I remember there's nothing better than been in the pubs around Paddington and, and that sort of people in their blue jerseys are streaming into the footy stadium and it was a great night. The 
game and finish and the Bundy Bar would go off and it was just a really good event to bring the rugby community together. So, yeah, we definitely want to get back that back. I know I can't sort of spend too much time on that aspect. I've got to get a winning football team, but um, we want people to come. It's a great facility. Um, enjoy their night, be able to support a team that maybe not win every week, but we'll give it a good crack and um, and then reconnect with all their rugby friends from, from around Sydney and New South Wales. There you go. There's Darren Coleman, the Waratahs coach, uh, talking ahead of uh, the big matchup against the Brumbies on Saturday night. That will be one to watch. It is uh, 9.26 here on SCNZX for time. When we come back, it's time for That's My Team, and we're profiling the Manly Sea Eagles. Hey, at that time, that's my team. It is up past nine here on Extra Time on SENZ. And joining us out of Australia to talk his beloved Sea Eagles is Brendan Crabb. G'day, Brendan. Welcome to the show. Oh, how you going? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good, good. How long have you been a uh, Sea Eagles fan? Uh, probably the age of about six, so over 30 years now. Wow, OK. Who's, who's, who's your all-time favourite uh, Manly player? Steve Menzies. Uh, that would be number one, probably closely followed by Brett Stewart. Right, okay, yeah, a couple of couple of big names. I was actually looking at your team at the moment, and there's a question I'm going to ask you a bit later on. Um, okay. About <laughs> uh, about who from the past would you parachute straight into the current Manly lineup? And uh, I think there's probably room for Steve Menzies and maybe even room for a Cliffy Lyons. But we'll get to that. We'll do that a bit later on, so you can have a you can have a think about it, mate. But uh, I mean, man, right, sure. man, Manly this season, a, a few changes, of course. Uh, Des Hasler on has gone. Anthony Seabold has come in. What do you make of that change? I think. I think Seabold has had like he had a lot of off-field issues to contend with at Brisbane, so I'm sort of willing to give him a chance. Um, I've, I think Des had a lot of strength. You know, he's a club legend and always will be. Um, maybe things have got a bit stale in terms of selection and game plans with Des. Or maybe he had been there too long. Maybe he didn't have the right support staff. Maybe he just had bad luck with injuries in recent years. But maybe it was just time to for a change. Um, I mean, Seabold seems to have surrounded himself with a pretty good support staff and apparently he's big on, you know, working with the young guys I'm hearing and I've heard he's, you know, pretty big on family being involved. So like hopefully that sort of had some, you know, off field, you know, had some off field impact as well. So I'm willing to give Seabold a bit of a chance, I think. Yeah, I mean, on Dez, it felt like the uh, the beginning of the end really was Jersey Gate, wasn't it? And uh, that felt like it actually put a divide in the squad and maybe he just didn't know quite how to deal with that or, or if he or he dealt with it wrong, perhaps, maybe is the right way to say it behind the scenes. Hard to know, like, in terms of, yeah, like, what what effect that had on morale. I think it probably, I think it did have, definitely did towards, you know, they lost those last seven games. So I think it definitely did have some kind of morale impact um, towards the end of the year. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that. I mean, that might have sort of been the the last straw in terms of maybe for Dez's reign, maybe. Um, yeah. So, but he, yeah. Look, I think he, you know, brought a lot to the club. So I'm not going to bag the guy too much. Yeah. All right, mate. Let's have a look at the guys that you've brought into the club. Uh, ben Condon's come down from the Cowboys. Uh, Zach Fulton uh, is uh, obviously he's got a surname of Fulton, so he's going to go all right. Uh, Cooper Johns, uh, his old man, went all right, and uh, and he's in there as well. Up from the Storm, Nathaniel Roach has joined, and Kelma Tuolagi from the Tigers. Uh, what do you make of the additions uh, that the Manly Seagulls have made for twenty three? Not a lot of not a lot of big names there. Actually, no big names <laughs> there. But um, look, Tuolagi has pretty good wraps on him. Uh, I think I'd like to see him. 
yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think he could bring something to the team. Um, Zach Fulton, I mean, had, he had a game last year. You know, he's one of the young guys in the squad. He looked, he stood up to, you know, uh, we're here at Hargraves, you know, pretty well. And that's not an easy, you know, thing to do on your, in your first game. So, um, yeah, look, that, yeah, not a lot of big names come through. I guess I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of hopeful that some of the young guys they've got in the squad, you know, can really, like, really shine this year. You know, Cola, who looked really good at times last year, and uh, KO Weeks, those sorts of guys. Hoping that, yeah, maybe some of the young guys can deliver on some of that promise, and it won't matter as much that they haven't had really too many big names yeah. Um, signings. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of potential is what you've signed, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they've just swept way their cap is, is, I think they've had to kind of sort of gamble on a couple, you know, guys like Condon, like gamble on it, just hope that, you know, they sign these guys probably for not a lot and hope that a couple of them pay off, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the losses are certainly on paper, uh, they, they read big, you know, George Taufua, Dylan Walker, Marty Tapao, Kieran Foran, uh, Sione Finau, uh, Finu, I should say, and Andrew Davey have all gone. Um, I mean, were you upset with the loss of any of those blokes, or do you think it was time for them all to move on? I I think they'll miss Foran's like cool head and like experience under pressure. I think he probably helped get them sort of over the line a couple of times in tight situations last year. I understand why he's been moved on, though. I mean, he is probably getting towards the end of his career. Uh, if it meant that re-signing him meant losing a couple of good guys, you know, young guys coming through, then I'm like. I guess that's that's sort of a you know a bit of a tough thing to do. So look, probably a bit disappointed to see him move on, but understand why. Uh, I think Dylan Walker did a good job of reinventing himself as a bench player, uh, but probably was injured a lot. And look, I, yeah, and I think he. I mean, I, last I heard, he went to the Warriors. I think he wants to play in the centres again. I could be wrong on that. So uh, I'm so I'm not as I guess not as concerned about that. Um, him moving on. Marty Tapao, I thought, gave really good service to the club, but I think probably he's fallen a dipped a bit towards the end of his run um, with the club and probably was time for him to move on. But then he might go to Brisbane and have a great have a great season. So best of luck to him. Yeah, I mean, so on the balance of things, if we put the gains and the losses on either side of the scales, where do you think it sits? Are you better off or worse off than you were last year? Yeah, um, I have to say probably worse off if you look at they've just they've lost Lots of fair bit of experience that they haven't really replaced. Mm. Um, I guess that's probably what I would say. Yeah. Uh, the other question that I ask you is, and I know this is a bit of crystal ball gazing, uh, Brendan, but uh, it, is, it is what we do. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have anything yeah. to talk about. Um, Tom Draboyevich, how many games are you going to play this season? Oh, <laughs> uh, can, I, can I hopefully say every single one of them? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a Manly fan, but I hope that, he plays most of the season because he's just such a great player to watch and he brings so much to the comp. Yeah, look, he is, yeah, like, I think the club at times probably has needed to do more in terms of being able to cope when he's not there. Uh, I think there have been times when he hasn't been there and they've, you can sort of see them in attack sometimes like, oh, we don't have Tom to throw the ball to, what do we do, sort of, sort of thing and like, he, yeah, he is, like, he is a marquee player but he's, you know, he's a sort of guy that like yeah people will go through the gates to see to use to use a cliche i guess people will pay their money at the gate to see a guy like tom because he just like he just yeah he is he's just exciting to watch you know he's big fast creative like yeah he's like 
So to answer your original question, look, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see him play the whole season, but I'm prepared that there could be times where he has to be rested. He might miss a game or two. I'm obviously, if he picks for Origin, he might be rested after an Origin game for that following weekend, that sort of thing. Um, so bit of an unknown i'd like to say the majority but i'm hopeful hopeful of the majority i'll say that all right we'll, we'll stick with that mate now uh some other news that's come through is uh that uh josh schuster is going to miss the first game um and of course he was down to play six that probably means that cooper john's going to line up at six it's i mean he went all right in that trial uh how big a loss do you think for first game that is well, Manly haven't won their first game of the year, I think, in 10 seasons. Wow. So, <laughs> so I'd like to see them, yeah, get off to get off to you know, a good start one year. Um, look, Josh will be, I think, a big loss first up. Um, I think he's got, I think there was a lot of narrative around him about, oh, he wanted, you know, he wanted the six and he wanted, didn't care about foreign or anything like that. And from what I can what I've heard, that's not the case. He was really respectful of Foreign. I learned a lot from him. Um, and, you know, he was excited sort of about being number six. I think he, look, he's, you know, he's had issues, obviously, with his fitness and, and with injuries, but he's shown, like, what a talent he is. Like, that's just, just nat- in terms of just natural ability, like, I just think he's got so much ability that he could do really well in the number six. So I think he will be a loss first up because I just think he offers another, kind of another focal point of attack that especially if someone like you know if someone like tom isn't there um he's just yeah can be really he'd be a handful so i just like to yeah I, he will be a loss first up i mean but i guess i'm hoping that you know this injury will only be a few weeks or one week of not you know half the season or it doesn't get dragged out that long yeah all right mate well uh if you had to name uh if you're anthony seabog you, you had to name your starting 13 for the for this weekend who have you got Oh, um, well, I'd, I'd say Tom, obviously, Tom at fullback. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm just having a look through the, I'm just having a look through the lineup now. Um, I believe they're going to, I've heard they're going to play Ruben Garrick in the centres, but possibly. Um, so I think he's probably going to go in the centres, um, probably alongside, uh, alongside Cola. I think um, Tupalutu is going to play on the wing. Uh, I'll probably have him on the wing. Um, so probably that would. Uh, I'm just looking through the rest of the squad here. Um, uh, so I'm looking for another winger there, aren't we? So mm. um, I'd say probably... Uh, Jason Saab, maybe, or someone like that? Saab is still injured, actually, at the moment. Oh, so, yeah, so he's out with injury at the moment. So I think uh, Vega, I think he's there's fair bit some wraps on him, so he might play in the wing. So I'd say probably Tom at fullback. Um, probably, yeah, I would say Garrick and um, Cole in the centres. Uh, probably, um, yeah, Tupaludu and Vega on the wings, I'd say, probably is how they'll shape up in that there. Um, so, yeah, I think more reports is that um, Cooper Johns will play 5 8, that's what I've seen. Uh, Cherry Evans, yeah, obviously at halfback. Um, I think, I mean, in, in terms of the forwards there, um, I think, well, I'm just looking at now, I think. Um, Looks like looks like they're going to well, um, Jake Tavoy, Jake Tavoy will probably get a run at prop from what I've seen mm. um, as well. So he probably will play in the pack. Uh, I'd like to probably see Okalatu um, get a run. I think he'll be in the starting side. Croker, uh, dummy half. Um, I'm just looking at, uh, 
Paseca fit, probably you know, a prop as well. Alawai, probably a fit as well. And I've been in, um, I think that uh, Ethan Bullimore is probably one I'd like to see in there as well, probably. Um, yeah, what played the 13 role? Yeah, and obviously Croker will, yeah, Croker will play dummy half. Um, if, well, if I play dummy half, then maybe Lawton on the bench is an option, dummy half as well. Yeah, yeah, all right. Oh, okay, well, that's a, that's a pretty good looking side. Now, the question I, uh, I, I prompted you at the start and said, uh, Sue, on this, uh, if you could bring anybody from Manly's past in their pomp and parachute them into this team, uh, thinking about where the team maybe needs something, as well as the greatness of the players you're talking about, who are you going with? Mark Carroll. Mark Carroll, okay. The go forward, bend the line. They needed that. That I think that the pack lacks lacks an enforcer. He was a, like there was. I don't think there was <laughs> might be the best enforcer. You know, mainly well, not ever. Obviously, she had some pretty good ones before him, Terry Randall, etc. But well, the best probably in my time following mainly in terms of yeah, just someone who could lead that forward pack, tough as nails. Like he would, he'd show the way. I think forward for some of these young blokes too. Yeah, yeah, Spud Carroll. Get him in there, mate. Get him in there. All right. Uh, is there is there anybody at the club at the moment that you'd happily chuck in the back seat of your car and drive to another club just to get rid of them? <laughs> um, oh, okay. Um, I'd, probably a couple of guys who probably I just don't maybe haven't brought a lot to the you know the team. Or I would say one would be Morgan Boyle. Sorry, Morgan, if you're listening. Um, probably just I, I feel he came with a, a little bit of buzz and sort of have, you know probably hasn't really. Achieve much. Um, look, he seems like he's a real nice bloke and tries very hard, but I'd probably have to say Brad Parker as well. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I feel, yeah, well, I think he has a real go out there, but I feel like against real quality opposition, sometimes he can, uh, his defence can get really shown up. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I mean, like, I, I do think a guy that's really underrated and uh, uh, they don't talk about enough is, is Ruben Garrick, right? I mean, he's a bit of a... He's one of those guys that's a bit of a club legend, but unless you're a Manly fan, you probably don't really pay him too much attention. Well, I, I yeah, I can recall him actually coming through the ranks of Geringal, um as a, as a teenager, so I can recall seeing him play junior, you know, young junior footy there. So, like, he's yeah, like I think he's a very improved player. Like, like yeah, he's just like his goal kicking obviously is valuable, but I I think he's proven that. He can fill in really well at fullback as well. Like he's got that experience now after last year, after being you know, kind of thrown in there and that. So I, yeah, I think he is probably probably underrated in terms of the general sort of you know in terms of overall in the NRL. Yeah, interesting, interesting. All right, good stuff, Brendan. Uh, finally, before we let you go, uh, one to seventeen. Where do Manly finish the season? <laughs> um, if injuries are kind and some young guys fire, I'm hoping maybe eight. Eighth, okay. So you squeak into the eighth, all going well. Yes. If Tom Dravoyevic gets hit, hit, you know, hit by a bus in after week one, then uh, maybe not. <laughs> it could be a bottom, bottom four. Right, could be it could be another long season. All right, good stuff, Brendan. Hey, listen, mate, I really appreciate your time coming on and talking about your your footy side. Um, I'm a I'm actually a Parramatta fan. I've got to say, so you know, generally there's there's not a lot of love lost between the Eagles and the Eels, but uh, I wish you all the best for the season, mate. I hope you enjoy it. You too. Go well. Uh, Brendan, Thank you. Yeah, no worries at all. Brendan Crabb, thank you for your time, sir. Manly fan out of Australia, giving us his rundown on oh, what he makes of Manly, the Seagulls, for 2023. It is 14 away from 10.
This is SENZ, 10 away from 10. Uh, Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. Uh, ben Ransom from Sky Sport UK is going to join us after 10. We're going to talk some football with him after uh, Liverpool's um, absolute slapping by Real Madrid in the Champions League this morning. Uh, we'll talk a few other things too, like the Manchester United takeover uh, with Ben uh, once He's uh, he's on his way to work. We're gonna uh, we go roadside with Ben in the car. He's just uh, messaged me. Oh, I hope it'll be all right in the car, but I think we'll be fine. I think we'll be fine. So any questions you got for Ben around English football, you want me to ask him? Uh, get them through to us on double eight double three double eight double three. Ben, uh, ask him about Wrexham. Ask. Well, I'll ask him about Wrexham. Okay. All right. Uh, I see they had another win this morning, but they're still second behind Notts County, five points off them, but they've got two games in hand. Quite fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a long season, man. It's a big run. So, and I like I've been keeping an eye, and every time Wrexham win, Notts County seem to win, and every time Notts County seem to drop points, Wrexham seem to drop points. So. And I think they've got they've got the clash once, I think. Yeah. So that that's I don't know if you'd say it's a decider, but it could be a could be a, uh, you know if Wrexham can get three points, that closes the gap to two and still have two games in hand, might make all the difference because there's only one team gets out of that league automatically. Incredible way when, yeah. when you when there's only that one automatic spot. You kind of hope they change it, considering how I don't want to say how deep, but it seems that fifth tier is a lot stronger. Yeah, than that, previous years. Oh, that, there is a bit of a move for that. There's a bit of a bit of a bit of a charge uh, for that to happen actually, and uh, to make it just like the other leagues, so it's three up, three down, um, which would be uh, which would be interesting. But uh, you know. If you're the league clubs, are you going to vote for that? Because it could be you. <laughs> it could be you going down. Oh, oh, well, of course you probably... Well, I think you go down, but they've got the spots that kind of go down anyway. Well, from, from, yeah, from, they've got two at the moment, so you'd be adding one. That's fine. That's fine. Well, the, the thing is, like, right? so so my, my team Bradford is in League 2, right? So yeah. I, 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 when you kind of see some of the teams in League 2, you're probably thinking yeah, they probably, probably do deserve to be in there. Well, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's Stockport came up last season, yeah. and they're currently fourth in League Two. Yeah, look, but you get yeah, that's the thing. You get some teams that do well. The thing, and you kind of see it in the smaller leagues, is they they you get some teams and they'll go big and hard, and if it, that it doesn't pay off, that's when they find themselves in trouble. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the the catch twenty two with it all. But got a little soft spot for Wrexham because their current manager, uh, Phil Parkinson, was the man behind a few glory days at Bradford. And they're not too, or not too long ago, I should say. You have you watched the show? Welcome to Rex. Uh, I have watched, I think five or six episodes. Oh, yeah, you enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like these sports documentaries, but my concern is that because we've had the one with the tennis, there's the one with the golf out or coming out. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's almost like there's almost going to become too much of it. And I think it's going to lose some of that niche that makes it really appealing. Yeah, well, the thing I, that I liked about this versus, say, Drive to Survive or any of those is that uh, this isn't about the athletes so much or the big stars. It's about the people. Yeah, so it has it has that point of difference to it, Yeah, which is great. But I guess in general, there's so much of these sports things. like They're talking about the one in the Six Nations as well, and you think, you know, how, how many do we need? You've got lots of the uh, on Amazon – they do the all or nothing series with the football. I think Arsenal are getting followed at the moment, or they got followed last year. Man City have been done in previous years along with Tottenham. 
and and all that. They had Sunderland till I die as well, which I personally enjoyed. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's becoming too much of it, and I'm kind of worried that if they keep making them for all the different sports, it, they're not going to be as good because we're going to think, oh, we've kind of seen this before. We've yeah. seen this kind of similar style, this similar format. Yeah, it's interesting the uh, the the fly on the wall ones with the football teams like you were talking about. I think that there's been a Juventus one, there's been a PSG one. You mentioned they did a Spurs one, the Arsenal the, the Man Spur- City. The Spurs one was really interesting because that was the year that Jose Mourinho came in and Pochettino got the sack. So in the first episode, it was about Pochettino for about half an hour, and then you just didn't hear from him again after that. And as you say, the fly on the wall access when coming into the locker room. I think the one where City. It was a year City won it from memory. Uh, and just just seeing some of the things the coaches say, the one with the Tottenham was interesting was Danny Rose, former England left back. Yeah. And he kind of fell out of favour and he's getting frustrated by the, the transfer negotiations. And I think, I think there was a Leeds one as well. And they tried to sign, this is when they first tried to sign Daniel James. And it, he was there and it fell through at the last minute. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. Danny Rose is a guy that's that's really gone completely off the boil because he he turned absolute uh, to to use a technical term mud um, at Spurs, and then they they basically released him, so he was free. And so Watford signed him, and then even Watford went, actually, you're a bitch. So we're going to let you go. And he was he was asking for more money and more playing yeah. time and all that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they made the right decision getting rid. So we'll we'll do that. Keep your texts coming through. Got one there uh, from Mark who wants to ask us uh, ask us to ask Ben about Forrest. Uh, if you've got any questions for Ben Ransom, you can get them through to us now. Double eight double three double eight double three. In the next hour, we'll talk football. We'll talk some more rugby. We'll talk a bit of cricket. We'll take your calls too on 0800 it's just gone 10 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you. Our number here, 0800 150 uh, Ready for your calls to talk sport. And uh, one of the questions uh, that has uh, been floating around is whether or not Ian Foster should uh, keep his job after he's gone off script. Pretty sure the media manager at New Zealand Rugby didn't know he was going to go and talk to Gregor Paul, uh, sorry Paul Cully at the uh, at the Herald. Um, so it's an interesting one, an interesting one indeed. And uh, there has been some call for uh, New Zealand Rugby to go. Well, you know, if you're going to do that, criticise us publicly and go rogue, uh, you can't have the job anymore. Will they pull the trigger this far out from a World Cup? It's an interesting one. Keen to hear from you on that. Uh, coming up later on in the hour, Ben Ransom from Sky Sports UK is going to join us. We're uh, in the middle of Champions League action. We've got two games tomorrow morning, including one featuring Manchester City away at RB Leipzig. Um, but this morning, Liverpool hosted Real Madrid. They took a 2-0 lead and ended up losing 5-2. Here's what Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool boss, had to say post-match. Everything was pretty obvious. And I think we gave all five goals away. All five means we could have done better there. But they were obviously different. The start in the game, and in our situation where we are, it's really important that we... Um, that we see positive steps, and I think the first half was, uh, was pretty much, besides the two goals we conceded, that the best we played for probably in the whole season. So I like that a lot. The two goals, we have to defend better. Okay, the second goal, we cannot defend better. That's a slapstick, but equalized pretty much our second goal, what we scored. Um, the second goal, we have to, uh, the first goal we conceded, we have to defend better. 
There are enough players around, nobody puts a foot in, stuff like this. It's it's very tight and it's just a world-class moment from Vinicius then as well, but I think it's obvious that we can defend her better. Half-time, rather positive, to be honest. So I think, okay, always this happened. Um, we have to play in this and that spaces. Um, if you do that, keep doing that, they will have problems. Um, and let me start with... Uh, you can see the third goal, which is a horrible goal. And today it was pretty much the game changer. I don't say that's now okay that it's a game changer, but it, it was today. Um, we lost um, the momentum in that moment um, and never got it really back. In the first half, we could have scored a third one. We, we had our moment, so we're a bit unlucky here with the scrappy situation um, in the six-yard box. In the second half, obviously, the game was the game. Real Madrid wanted to play um, and then both goals the other goals which they scored one is deflected and they are not really well defended to be honest we lose the ball in the wrong moment which is obviously a massive problem against Real Madrid with the counter-taking threat they have and that's how it came to the result and um, um, and that's it appreciate there's a lot of football to be played between now and the second leg, but Carlo did say to us that he can't say that the tie is over. How do you feel tonight? I think Carlo thinks the tie is over, and I think it as well in the moment. But in three weeks, so it is in these moments. The closer you get to the game, the bigger our chances become, and the, the, the lesser likely it is that the tie is over. But tonight, with a 5 2, and you see the game, and it's like, um, oh. Uh, they are pretty good in counter-attacking. We have to score their three goals, so take some risk. Uh, that could be a bit tricky, but it's really not not even in my mind. So we go there, I can say that now already, and try to win the game. If that's possible or not, I don't know now, but uh, that's what we will try. And from there, we, yeah, we will see. Just check on Joe as well. It looked like he was holding his hamstring when he came off. Is, yeah. Is there an issue there? We will see. Um, I, I, yeah, showed a little bit of sign, but um, then we had um, we just made a decision, and now we will see that he will get checked tomorrow. There you go. So yeah, Jurgen Klopp. It's interesting to say that he thinks the tie is over um, in this moment. He then said, which uh, I, I guess gives him the cushion of well, maybe I'll have another look at it and think maybe we can do something. But uh, got our overturned three goals uh, in Madrid. So good luck with that. I can't see that happening, Ben. Oh, it's just like Ian Foster saying, I don't think I'll be the All Blacks coach next year. <laughs> you might not be the All Blacks he's, coach this year. He's, he's, waving the, he's waving the flag already. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon. Jeez. But uh, in, in all seriousness, though, to, it would take a, I'd say, an all-time performance for Liverpool to come back, especially with the second leg being at the Bernabeu. Yeah. It would, it would take one of those... No, I don't want to say one in a million, but it, w- it would it would be an absolute shock. It would kind of be, would you say it was like the comeback against Barcelona a few seasons ago? Well, I was going to bring that up and say, look, you know, if they'd lost 5-2 at, um, uh, at the Bernabeu uh, and then they had the return league at Anfield, I'd give them a shot because of that, like yeah. you mentioned, you know, what well, they did against Barca a few years ago. But going to Spain, I think it's done. I think it's done. Yeah, well, Real Madrid, <laughs> very hard to play. And as they say, the when they're behind, they love they love coming back, and they're, they're built for moments like this in the Champions League. So, 
it's going to be tough for Liverpool because it could be Europa League football next year. It could be that whatever the third tier European competition is, is what names completely eluded me, or it could just be no European football at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's a possibility. They do seem to be, uh, you know, turning their form around in the league because they put two wins together. Um, against Everton and Newcastle. But, I mean, that's an Everton side who were bottom three and a Newcastle side who had the keeper sent off. So uh, maybe this is a real shot to say, you know, this is where you're placed, uh, this is where you're based. You know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was ninth versus 10th when they played Chelsea. But if, let's say that, or oh, I think we can safely say that Liverpool are not going to win. So would it be better for them to be out, though, so they can focus on the league? Yeah, Probably. Probably, although I think, uh, you know, if you ask Jurgen Klopp, uh, the only chance of silverware they had got the season is the Champions League before this game. So you, you go through the season without winning anything is the other potential. Yeah, but does he still keep his job, though, I guess? Well, that, it'll be interesting to find out what happens there because I think, um, you know, seven years, uh, when he was at Dortmund, Dan O'Hagan said the other night, you know, he, he did seven years at Dortmund and it all went off a cliff. Back in that seventh season. Yeah, and this is the seventh season at Liverpool. And it happened at Mainz as well. Did, did, when he was at Dortmund though, were they playing the amount of games that Liverpool were playing? Because some people were kind of saying that this is this the impact, this is just the the follow-on effect of them trying to win it all last year. And, and just that tiring, that World Cup break. I know some of their players didn't go. And then you think of potentially, did they make the right call in letting Sadio Mane go? There's, there's so many different factors you can wow. probably pinpoint that could have been that the, that was probably the, st- the, the start of the end. The thing is that Mo Salah didn't go to the World Cup, right? Everybody expected him to be on fire. When everybody else comes back from the World Cup, Mo Salah's fresh hasn't really been that way. He hasn't been that player this year. So I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but Sadio, keeping Sadio Mane was probably the right move, getting rid of Mo Salah. I mean, you had to get rid of one, and uh, they, you know, I, I guess in hindsight you can say that. But, yeah, it's a tough call to make. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, when Klopp was at Dortmund, they were playing Champions League football. Um, they weren't a contender to win it, really but they were there or thereabouts, so they would have been making quarterfinals, but they were also chasing Bayern in the title race and winning the German Cup and things like that. So they were playing a lot of football as well. But that midfield, the, the midfield's always the one which is thrown up there as well because of you've got a guy like Jordan Henderson who's playing in there. He's got quite fatiguing legs. you got uh, Fabinho as well. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember last year as well, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold was under intense scrutiny and even himself and Andy Robinson, the both the wingbacks, uh, they just probably haven't been at that their form as well. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I mean Trent particularly has uh, fallen off, I think, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, mm, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, felt, it feels like, and we talked to Adam Summerton about this a little while ago, that he's let that squad age together. And, um, you know, it's a bit like what's happening with the Black Caps at the moment. It's all started to just fall off, and there's not really a, 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 an option there to, to change things at the moment. One more thing. It'll be very interesting to get uh, Ben Ranson's perspective on this because Liverpool are in the Jude Bellingham sweepstakes. Yes. If they've got no European football next year... They've got no Jude Bellingham next year. Um, exactly. That's what I was going to throw out. If, if they miss out, does that rule him going there and he could go to like a Real Madrid? I think that's exactly where he'll go because they're trying to refresh their midfield as well, because Modric and Cruz and uh, et cetera have been, have been there so long that they need to start putting young blood in there. So 
I think Jude Bellingham, Real Madrid, makes a lot of sense. Um, now, uh, Ben Ransom just messaged me to say he's good, he's in the car. We can call him when we like. So let's take a break and come back with Ben Ransom from Sky Sport UK. It's a quarter past ten here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you joining us uh, out of the UK live from the Bugatti is uh, Ben Ransom. G'day, Ben. How you doing? <laughs> I mean... I can't even say it shares one letter with the Bugatti one driving, but there you go. There you go. Uh, maybe we have just uh, unveiled that secret that all of Britain has been talking about, who the new Bond is. Is that, is that what you're telling us? Oh, yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Uh, can you imagine this kind of like southeast London drawl uh, saying... Uh, Yes, Miss Moneypenny. Uh, no, I don't think so. Sorry, Rick. I don't, not for you. No, 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 no. I'll have a lager. Shaken, not stirred. Um, but anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Where's Bond? I was watching the football. <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant, mate. Hey, uh, listen, thanks very much for coming on uh, to chat footy, mate. And uh, boy, uh, what a game it was at Anfield uh, last night uh, or this morning, our time. Um I thought that at Anfield, I, it gave Liverpool the edge. And, you know, 15 minutes in, I, I thought I was right. But uh, it wasn't to be in uh, an Ancelotti masterclass incoming. And oh, uh, Liverpool season continues to uh, go from w- uh, w- worse to worse, uh, even. Yeah, it felt like um, in the last week, there'd been a bit of an upturn, didn't there? Although perhaps the results against Everton Newcastle just didn't quite didn't quite, um, or maybe the, the results papered over the fact that the performances were still slightly patchy. I'm Liverpool not quite sh- where they should have been. I mean, look, the Everton game was one thing, but then, you, you know, you take into account the goal, Everton hit the post at one end and actually settled quite well. The ball goes up the other end, Salah scores, Pickford's well out of position, then Liverpool kind of assert their dominance. And then uh, in the Newcastle game, Newcastle had loads of chances early on, or half chances, Liverpool, again, clinical, to be fair. Darwin Nunes uh, and Cody Gakpo have started to find their scoring touch, which is really good for them. Salah's looked a lot better. So, offensively, they look better, but it, it perhaps didn't, because they kept two clean sheets, we perhaps thought defensively, even though the numbers weren't quite there, they'd improved. And then, come up against Real Madrid, the offence do their bit in a way. Two goals, fantastic. Um, get ahead in that game. Blistering start. Obviously, Anfield's a massive, massive um, kind of... It's a massive thing to have in your corner on a European night. I've been to some amazing nights there. The place was rocking. And then, as you say, an Ancelotti masterclass. Uh, he absolutely is the king of this kind of tie. Uh, I remember watching him all the way to the, the final last year, not even playing particularly well at times, but just he's so cool. The players respond to him. And, yeah, in Vinicius Junior, they do have one of the best players in the world right now. And Liverpool punished ultimately and you have to say I think Klopp admitted it you think the tie's probably over at this stage of 5-2 yeah you do um, which is you know for Liverpool uh, it means pretty much no silverware this season right I mean what do you think now is it just basically successful Liverpool from here is top four yes I think so um, that's certainly where they've been looking to try and um, you know to get the season back into some kind of shape after where they were is good the result against Newcastle gives them that I think you're right. Top four is certainly um, the ambition and would make a relatively successful season in that sense. But ultimately, it just papers over what has been a pretty poor campaign. I think... 
I think I think he dropped out somewhere. Is he still going live at your end there? Uh, sorry, Ben, we uh, we lost you there, mate. Um, but uh, yeah, was, so Liverpool top flow, four. So I don't know where I got to, Ricardo. Yeah, but I was basically just saying that look, a top four would, would rescue the season for Liverpool. But I was also just got, kind of talking about this group and where they're at and the fact that under Klopp, they have won everything. I mean, it's been Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup, League Cup, FIFA, Super, World Cup, whatever you call it. Um, they've, done, they've done everything. Uh, and to be so far below those standards this year is a worry, and it suggests that they do need to have an overhaul, and it's going to cost a lot of money in the summer. Yeah, it will do. I mean, there's something that actually uh, producer Ben asked um, before we got you on and was like, uh, you know, all the talk has been um, about them, you know, strengthening and uh, bringing a certain young Englishman over from Borussia Dortmund. But if they've got no um, Champions League football to offer next season, uh, Jude Bellingham's probably going to be going somewhere else, isn't he? I mean, you think so. I mean, I've always found this slightly strange because obviously, look, you know I cover City closer than any other club and you'd think that it would be the perfect fit for him given that they're looking for that midfield replacement for ultimately De Bruyne. Uh, this season they might lose both Gundogan and Bernardo Silva. So they really do need a central midfielder who can do it all. Bellingham has impressed against Pep a couple of times playing for Dortmund. So I know he's a huge fan. The club have obviously looked at signing him. But it certainly seems as though Liverpool were leading the race to sign him. And he's, you know, he's well advised by his family to be fair, Jude Bellingham. And then we saw that Jordan Henderson was kind of in his ear at the World Cup and obviously trying to sell Liverpool to him, being a bit of an agent for the, for the club there, which is absolutely fair enough. Why not? And it, all the senses from Liverpool were, there was kind of a, a quiet confidence that they were going to be able to sign him. Last night, though, was billed as the Bellingham derby because the other team that are in for him are Real Madrid. And when you look at what they're doing there and the opportunity to go and play for that club... and ultimately win Champions League trophies because no matter how bad they are in the league, they always seem to do really well in Europe. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it, it certainly is, is going to prove difficult, you'd say, for Liverpool if they don't get the top four. Yeah, it will do. Yeah, that Liverpool squad, I, I, I was saying, is, is a bit like our Black Caps cricket team, mate. Um, you know, they've all grown old together. And now uh, once you get a bunch of guys all, you know, in their 30s together, uh, they all seem to, you know, fall away at the same time. And then it's uh, then, then you've got to start fresh. So it's going to be a rebuild job. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Klopp, seven-year itch at Dortmund, seven-year itch at Mines. Are we seeing the seven-year itch at Liverpool? What chance he's not there next season? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he'll be sacked. I think that's pretty clear, just because of what he's done. And also, are you going to get anyone better? Not just a better coach, but a better fit for that club. I mean, he, he lives and breathes Liverpool. Obviously, the fans absolutely love him. But but this year, for whatever reason, things haven't quite worked. And you're right, is it down to playing personnel, getting to a certain age and not having the energy in their legs? Because, as we know, he demands this high-press style he always has. Is it down to as often happens, and maybe you alluded to it there, that after a certain period at a club, a manager's words just don't quite have the same impact because we know that Klopp is a great motivator. Or does he just have to like go back to the drawing board a little bit and, and try and reinvent the system? Because we, you know a lot of the talk this year has been about Guardiola playing with this slightly bizarre 3-2-4-1 system and Bernardo Silva is this kind of inverted left back and, and Pep himself every couple of years tries to completely redevelop the team and redevelop the shape and it's something that even we saw Sir Alex Ferguson do going from a 4-4-2 to a, a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3 in his time at United so the great clubs and the great managers do have to evolve um, and whether it's just a tactical tweak whether it's personnel I'm not sure but certainly 
the longer this malaise goes on, the more people are going to talk about exactly what you're talking about there, the seven-year itch. Yeah, indeed. All right, mate. Now, you mentioned Manchester City. They are in action tomorrow morning, New Zealand time, away at Leipzig. Um, and they haven't exactly been travelling well. It's been a very un like season, dropping 15 points away from home. And, uh, you know, still, you know, they, they, get, they beat Arsenal and you think, well, they close the gap, the race is on. Uh, and then they go and, and drop points at Forest. So uh, where are City at at the moment? It feels like maybe there's a bit going on behind the scenes we don't know about. The Jao Concello thing was weird, letting him go mid-season when he's the best fullback you've got. Kevin De Bruyne is starting a lot of games on the bench. I don't know if that's something else or if he's carrying an injury. I mean, where do you think City are at at the moment? They're not at their best, I think that's clear, because what they've done in the past when they are at their best is they've been absolutely relentless. Um, you're right about the Cancelo one being strange, because it, it took us all by surprise. Uh, the, obviously, there's been reports he's had a bust-up with Guardiola. Now, I mean, look, Guardiola and Cancelo played that down. They both said that didn't happen, although, you know, people I've spoken to said that there, there have been some heated words, and a lot of it was to do with Cancelo not being an automatic first choice in the team, but... You know, as Pep said, to be fair, those players, and Concedo in particular, he's one of those players that wants to play every week no matter what. So you can understand that would happen. And I don't think that in itself is anything particularly unusual. Um, but letting him go was a massive, uh, massive call uh, because they don't really have anyone who plays exactly the same way. The fact that Bernardo Silva is operating in that role or being told to because he's such a complete footballer tells you everything. They don't have another natural left-back that can play that inverted system. And Cancelo playing on both sides was a real asset. So that was a surprise. And they have left themselves weaker. I think that's uh, universally agreed by letting him go. They're not winning the same amount of games. Away from home, that form is a concern. And they're in this run now of five away games in a row. Forrest um, was second of that group. So they beat Arsenal, which suddenly you thought, hang on a minute, system's working, played pretty well, dominated the game. Have they finally clicked? Go to Forrest. And to be fair to them, they create enough chances to win the game four times over. Harlem missed a couple of sitters, which you'd expect to score. And then Forrest nick, it, nick a goal at the other end and get a point, and all of a sudden it's back to doom and gloom. So I would expect a response against Leipzig, but it's not going to be easy. They're a decent team. They've got, some, they've got a good spine in particular. And away from home, I mean, look, if, if they crash out of the European stage at this, uh, this stage of the European competition, then we really will be looking at crisis Man City. But assuming they show their class and get through, you'd imagine it'd start to settle down, and then they can focus fully on the title race because Arsenal have shown they're not going away. Do you think Pep, um, what's the right way to put this? Not that did Pep want Haaland, but does Pep know how to use Haaland? Maybe is the better way to, uh, better question. Um, I mean, I, I think so. I don't think we can look at the, one of the greatest managers of all time as just because he doesn't know how to play with the number nine. I know his systems traditionally have played a slightly different style, but Haaland's, is also developing his game. He's a young man. Now, he comes with lots of raw attributes. He's a fantastic finisher. He's incredibly strong and powerful. He's always trying to run in behind his movement. He's quick. So he's got lots of great attributes. But Harland also is someone who you watch him, and when you hear about him, he wants to learn. He wants to get better. And he wants to improve under the guidance of someone like Guardiola, who plays a different style. Now, I think it's it's easy to look back at Pep's history with someone like an Abramovich or someone and say, well, he can't play with that player. But then you go to Bayern and it was quite successful with Lewandowski. So he, he clearly can. And I think it's more about the players such as, uh, you know, people like Kevin De Bruyne are finding 
and honing their own game because they've played a very particular way for a long time, often with a false nine, and they've been the ones getting beyond him. It's about those players honing their game to get the best out of Harden, as opposed to Pep and the tactical system. Because really, Harden's making all these great runs, and Pep cannot play the balls through to him, can he? That's got to be the likes of Gundo, Bernardo, Bowden, Grealish, and KDB. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, how are they looking ahead of Leipzig? Uh, I mean, it it feels like a way at Leipzig, the way Leipzig are travelling. Uh, this is going to be uh, a, maybe a tricky first round of the tie. Uh, maybe a score draw here and then take it back to City to win it. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, as long as they're in the tie, you fancy them at home. Um, on any given day, City can click. And it depends how the Forest kind of draw has affected them because... Excuse me. As I say, they played well. They scored. Lo- they created loads of chances. And on another day, they went three or four nil, maybe three or four one. Um, so if they can carry that that confidence from the Arsenal game forward, and they're not too damaged by it, then I think they they can go and win. And they've done this in these kind of ties many times over the last few years. There is that group experience. But just for argument's sake, say it doesn't quite go well. So they concede early, and then maybe they go one or even two down. How they respond is going to be absolutely massive. Over the last two years, we've seen this team respond in those situations, and that's where they've really grown. So the challenge will be, if they're in a difficult position, how they come through it. All right. Uh, now, a couple of things before we let you go, mate. Um, I know you're on your way to work, but Mark has texted through asking if you think that Nottingham Forest will stay up this year. I think they will. Uh, I'm a big fan of Steve Cooper. Uh, I've been down to see him at the Forest training ground a few times this season. I went down to see him early on when all the talk was about the number of signings so late and gelling the squad. and It, it looked completely haphazard at the time, didn't it? But what was fantastic about what the club did then was they backed the manager, didn't they? They, they brought all these signings in. They started pretty poorly. Then they gave Steve Cooper the contract and they basically said, we believe in you. We think you are the man to, to bring this together. Then they had that real upturn of results either side of the World Cup. Um, they brought in more players in January and you thought, oh my God, are they going to make the same mistake again? And slowly but surely, they've started to build a resilience. They've got a lot of players out with injuries still, so, you know, they, the fact they've got a big squad is helping them in that situation, but they've started to find ways to score goals as well, so defensively they've got better, and they've started to score goals, and when you look at some of the other teams that are struggling down the bottom, I think that Forest can get themselves in a position over the next couple of months where they are above that relegation zone, going into really crucial games, and once you're there, Every point is absolutely crucial because it's a knife in the back of all of your opponents. So I think they will snap, yeah. Yeah, all right. And uh, finally, mate, um, as a Manchester United fan, do I have to get comfortable with the idea of fracking or with the lack of uh, human rights? Which way do you think it's going to go? <laughs> I know. It's, um, it's one of those, isn't it? But look, my argument, and I speak to a lot of United fans around here, obviously, is that there's no such thing as a good billionaire anyway. So it's kind of like, well, you know, your, your morality has to go out the window if you're getting into bed with any billionaire across the planet. Um, so it's, it is tricky. And what I'm hoping is that actually the, the independent regulator for football in the UK does come through. Because what that will do at the least is mean that it just reigns in the power of these kind of outside investors and what they can do with football clubs in terms of their own image. And what it would do is give the fans that crucial say in how their football clubs run. Because football clubs are not businesses. They're more than that. They are community assets as well. And whenever you go and see any of the great work they do in communities, how important they are to the poorest members of our society, they've got to be more than just big business. So what I'm hoping is that the independent regulator 
does go through, that bit of legislation the government are talking about right now, that happens alongside this process. And government, football governance in this country can improve wholesale, not just individually on this point. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, we wait, wait with bated breath to see uh, what the outcome is there. Ben, thanks very much uh, for um, for coming on, mate. Say hi to M when you get into headquarters, and uh, we'll catch up with you another time. <laughs> My pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, here we go. Ben Ransom, uh, outside bet now um, at bet365 to be the next bond. I bet somebody would have taken that in. Uh, what do you reckon you'll get? 1,000 to 1, Ben? Oh, that would be good odds, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. It would be. Ben Ransom will be the next Bond. Like it, like it. Uh, your thoughts, mate? What do you reckon uh, on what he said there about the uh, there are no good billionaires? I mean, he's probably correct. To yeah. be fair, to be, I mean, you're being being completely honest, yeah. There's uh, no, no comment. <laughs> no comment. No comment at all. All right, let's hit the let's hit a break and come back and talk some cricket after this. On SENZ, you can call us as well. 0800 150 811. It's 11. Uh, 11? No, it's nearly 11, but not quite 11. I hope not. No, not quite. Uh, it's 23 minutes away from 11. That's what I meant to say, Ben. Uh, 23 away from 11. And uh, we have another uh, test in Wellington starting on Friday. Uh, England versus the Black Caps. Uh, I've had a look at the forecast, actually. The yeah, forecast doesn't look great. Um, I doubt we'll get five days of play, and mind you, we might not need it uh, based on the last last test. But then uh, it was earlier. Uh, it looks like the first couple of days might be uh, the tricky ones. So we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, but speaking of weather, of course, we've had terrible weather situations. A cyclone um, that we all know about hit the country, hit it pretty hard, particularly in the Hawke's Bay, uh, where Blair Tickner is from. And Blair Tickner was talking about uh, his dad's place and, and what's going on in the Hawke's Bay and, and, and what uh, he wants to, uh, to do for the Hawke's Bay ahead of this test. To go between that and, and the cricket, I guess, what was that like going back home and seeing the damage? Yeah, luckily, New Zealand cricket released um, me and Will Young to go home uh, to help out for two days. So, um, my father's house has been yeah, fully destroyed, and um, it was good to get back, help them out. And um, obviously, it's just hard times for the whole region, so helping out neighbours and whoever we could. And um, luckily enough, the Central Stags cricket team were helping alongside us. so um, it's been tough, it's really tough at the moment, but um, the Hawks are staying strong, so it's good. I appreciate it's probably quite emotional for you. I mean, what was it like going home and seeing the damage? I mean, what was your first reaction? Yeah, you obviously grow up there as a kid and it's just, yeah, it's just crazy, to be honest. It's a bit, a bit hard to talk about, really. What were you able to do to kind of help out, if you could, in any way? Um, luckily, my dad's got a hire business, so we've been um, clearing neighbours' stuff. Uh, Using the forklift and uh, loader, I actually got my old man's loader stuck, so hopefully he doesn't watch this uh, news report. It's about a metre in mud at the moment, so um, uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have driven around the neighbour's yard, and uh, they said it wasn't that deep, and I uh, got it stuck, so um, yeah, sorry about that, Dad. I imagine it's been a whirlwind couple of weeks, obviously a big moment in cricket for you, plus dealing with all this on the side. Yeah, you obviously dream about um, your test debut for forever, and uh, expect your family to be there, your friends, and... Two days before it, um, the cyclone hit New Zealand, and um, yeah, my dad was lucky enough to come through. He was taking generators back down to Hawke's Bay to help the people, so um, he just stopped in for about half an hour. Luckily, saw my first test wicket, and then went on to um, seven-hour drive back home to help everyone. So 
Um, luckily, my wife was there, um, but yeah, it's just crazy times. Was it hard focusing during the game last week and then, I guess, preparing for another test? Yeah, I think the only thing I sort of kept going back to is my um, family just saying it's the only bright light at the moment. So, How did you deal with that kind of that weight carrying the family through? Uh, yeah, it was... Context looking forward, obviously, the game on daytime, mate. Uh, in March 25th, the New Zealand Cricket and ANZ are going to put it on as a fundraiser match. Um, I suppose as a team and, and the players, is something you look to get around? Yeah, so obviously we were wanting somewhere to help out how we could. And, um, yeah, it's awesome to see New Zealand Cricket and ANZ coming forward for the first game against Sri Lanka. So um, it's, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, hopefully we can have a sellout and all that money goes to them. And... Um, Cyclone, it's around the whole of New Zealand, Gisborne, Wairua, Hawke's Bay and up north in Auckland and Whangarei, so it's um, it's been hard for everyone throughout the country so I'm not just saying Hawke's Bay I just want everyone to go out and support and you can help donate uh, food, clothing all around New Zealand at the moment so everyone can help Well said mate Does, does it put it in perspective I guess to some extent if you're having a a rough spell balling, you know, people say that's hard work. It doesn't, I guess, after going back and, and helping yeah. and seeing stuff back home, doesn't feel so hard at all. Yeah, no, it doesn't feel hard when you see, yeah, stock on the side of the road dead and you see people crying, growing men crying about their homes and their whole life's been flipped upside down. So, yeah, cricket to me is obviously my life as well, but um, it's, yeah, nothing compared to what people are going through at the moment. Good on you. In terms of the assessment from, from the first test, as a group, what was sort of talked about heading into a, a test here at the Basin? Yeah, we obviously know how they play. Um, we weren't good enough in the first game, but we're, yeah, we're ready to um, go again here in the Basin. Um, yeah, we think we've got the right tools there to do the job. Um, we just have to do it better this time. And for you, grabbing a couple of wickets, you'd be happy with your, your debut effort? Yeah, yeah, I got got better and better. I think um, it was it was nice to at the back end of my second spell really feel like I belong and um, I felt like I bowled well in the second spell. So yeah, I'm pretty happy. Obviously, everyone dreams of a test debut. Did it sort of live up to I guess what you hoped for, what you expected, what you experienced at Bay Oval? Yeah, obviously a lot going on, but it was awesome having um, full crowd there and the Barmy Army, and it was just it was a good experience. It's the first one to get it done. The first one's always the hardest I hear, so no, it's, you know it'll be good to go come. The next one. What was that conversation like with your family before the test? Was there any question that, that you were um, Well, it was. It was. It wasn't much power, and people. We couldn't actually get hold of many people. So um, I finally got hold of my dad, and he just wanted us to yeah represent our family well in the Hawks Bay. And um, yeah, he was no. I couldn't really say no to playing the first test, and I sort of just. I knew that was going to help out after. I just wanted to be a yeah, bright light for them at home. So. Was that moment like when you told him that you were, you were going yeah, to Yeah, it was pretty, yeah, pretty emotional. I wanted to see photos of the cap and all that hard work, so no, it was special for me and my family. How much did your teammates have to support you last week then? Yeah, quite a lot. I think it's been it's been hard because it's sort of we're in a bubble, even if you're in Tauranga and um, people are just going about their business normally. Um, it's hard sometimes to feel like they, there's been so much, so much damage in, the, uh, in New Zealand just down the road, so... Um, they definitely supported me and it was awesome to have the boys behind me and now we've obviously got the good cause of the Sri Lankan game coming up. Um, Blair, what, Last couple guys. What, what's the plan? Uh, are you going to be able to go up and help out some more after this test? Yeah, hopefully after the next test we're a few days off um, before Sri Lanka, so I'll go back and um, hopefully help out in anything, in any way. There's so many um, damaged little parts of Hawke's Bay at the moment um, that I haven't even seen yet, but it's just you sort of just get 
get to work and people are just walking down the road and asking people if they need help and it's just been awesome to see the region pulling together. Just lastly, I mean, how much does it motivate you then for this test? Is it going to be an extra pep in your set? Yeah, definitely. I definitely want to get my first uh, win for uh, in Test match cricket, and um, really want to do it for the people in Hawke's Bay. And I think now we're banded together as a team and uh, fundraising this money. I think yeah, it's going to be very special for me. Yeah, interesting here from Blair Tickner. They're pretty emotional uh, at times, as you would be. Uh, his region's been hit so damn hard, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that test goes starting on Friday as well in Wellington. We are 16 away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time.